Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the latest episode of I Am No Joke, your home for all things combat sports and the place where every armchair quarterback can feel a thin bronco. The views and opinions presented on the I Am No Joke channel belong solely to the person expressing them, no one else. If we say it, that means we meant it. That being said, this show does contain adult themes, adult content, and general shit that you shouldn't be letting your kids intake. Be advised, viewer discretion is recommended. Proceed at your own risk. You've been warned. If it's Thursday, the Supreme Court's probably trying to take away some more of our rights. Either way, welcome to the latest episode of I Am No Joe. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of appropriate ages, welcome to the latest episode of the I Am No Joe podcast, where every armchair quarterback can feel like Eddie Bravo. Today, as like most days, we have got a glorious panel here ready to break down the shenanigans, shit talk, and chicanery we have got to look forward to with a bottle of war this weekend coming up on UFC London 2. Can you fucking believe it? They're doing it again, boys and girls. We're going back over the seas. So before we get into all that craziness and the top of the morning talk we've got lined up this evening... How the hell are you gentlemen doing this fine evening? And fucking tastic. It's fucking Thursday. We've got kicky punchies. And to be honest, this week's part is much better than last week's. At least in my own opinion, from what's lined up. <laughs> I think they did ABC a disservice. That's all I'm saying. Definitely fucking agree. Excited for the motherfucking weekend. Glad to hear you guys are fucking excited for it too. <clears throat> hell yeah. Hell yeah. So, as we like to do around here, uh, before we get into this upcoming weekend's shenanigans, uh, we'd like to do just a little bit of a recap on what went down last weekend. Uh, Now, like we said, uh, going in, it was uh, the pre and post pay-per-view hangover at the same time it was the malcolm in the middle card of july so you had to go in with somewhat lowered expectations to begin with but overall the card wasn't extremely terrible um i gotta say right out of the gate i do not understand how they gave emily decody that fucking fight uh jessica penne was just doing whatever the fuck she wanted with her for the entirety of 15 minutes there was never a moment where jessica was ever in any kind of fucking trouble uh emily didn't look terrible but she wasn't really doing anything that i would consider a unanimous decision worthy fucking performance to say the least um it kind of feels like the judges bone penne there a little bit on that one i don't think that that was emily's fight to win let alone unanimous decision territory like they read it but that was just like it, it kind of put the taste in the mouth early for the way that the card seemed like it was going to go, if that makes sense. Um, following right off of that, uh, Dwight Grant, who is generally fairly fucking capable, just could not hold Dustin Stoltz off of him for more than two or three seconds. 
uh, this is another one of the situations, though, where Stolfus wasn't really capitalizing on the dominance that he had in this fight. He wasn't really putting Grant in very much trouble. There were a couple of situations where coming off a transition or a couple of rollouts where he would, you know, be in the dominant position, but just kind of let it go instead of capitalizing. Again, what the fuck are we doing here? Like, you guys are opening the fucking card. Like, you had good pressure, but you couldn't do anything with it here. Come on. Come on. And then comes Jacoby walking into the arena. Uh, Daun Jung came into that cage sloppy from the beginning, and Jacoby absolutely fucking capitalized it with a crisp and clean one-two that just set that giant motherfucker right on his ass. And... As we say, credit where credit is due, regardless of how you feel. I still don't like Dustin Jacoby, but that was a clean fucking shot. And he put Jong right on his fucking hiney, uh, right in the fucking cage. So ain't much you can fucking say about that. It's going to be interesting to see what they do with him going forward, though, being as that this is his second run in the UFC now. Yeah. Uh, Jong, he fucked himself. He had such a good run going, and then that come in, he, did, he looked like absolute dog shit from the get, from the start. And, well, it showed very quickly. Don't know what happened. He was doing, he had, he had a lot of potential. And I think uh, that fight completely squandered it, especially against fucking Jacoby, somebody who he should have fucking easily dismantled. I also kind of felt like the, the ref could have given him a chance like we've seen a lot lately. Didn't feel like it was a real clean finish. He just got caught a little bit, and the ref kind of jumped in the way. You know, it is what it is. But it would have been nice to give him a little extra minute, see if he would have hopped back to. I mean, we saw what fucking Matt Schnell did. Right. No, I, I completely agree. I know we'll I was... get to that more in a minute. But elbow, fucking elbow, yeah. elbow, elbow. Let that keep going. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I agree, and I, I was going to mention that as well, is that it, I can understand, because when they showed the replay, he was absolutely in a thousand-yard fucking stare when he bounced. So I, I get it from the angle that the referee was at, but at the same time, like, I could see the argument for letting that go a little bit longer for damn sure, especially as how quick Jung popped the fuck back up after it was stopped, and he was clear and coherent he wasn't like wobbly all fucking you know still out of it and shit but you know that's why we're not referees though so <laughs> that being said um that will bring us to the uh throwing popcorn at the fucking movie screen moment of the evening for last weekend um honestly just one of the most infuriating moments as a fan to watch that I can think of in, in at least the last couple months. Um, there's no good way to say it. Herbert Burns quit more than once in the middle of the fucking cage. Uh, he gassed out on an attack he never should have put as much energy into as he did. And then when he had no answer for it, quite literally just quit. 
yeah. Completely fucking unacceptable. As far as um, a fighter does, to be honest, that in my opinion is the way that he he was in there. That's the same as tapping the strikes. You know you're gonna get fucking hit in the octagon. Yeah. Don't tap the strikes. He literally, oh, I'm tired, so I'm just gonna fucking quit. That's literally what he did. Instead of push through it like most fighters do when they hit that fucking brick wall of gas tank, because everybody has one. Even those fucking little itty bitty featherweights and bantamweights, those fuckers have it there's, too. There's a wall. Yeah, there's, there's always a wall. They always just push through it. That's your fucking job. Dude, you were fucking, I don't care. You didn't spend that much fucking energy in, was it, round and a half? Yeah, barely. Get fucked. Barely it was absolutely terrible. And to be honest, I hope they give him walking papers because at this point, right. he's fucking earned it. Is showing that you don't want to actually fight? Well, I I take that back. If if and this is a very very thin and small little if if we get some kind of genuine validated documentation this week that Herbert's knee is absolutely as fucked as he played it up to be when Gilbert carried him from the octagon back to the locker room. If we see something that says he tore all the ligaments and all the tendons in the first round, which is why he gassed, I I will retract my statement. However, if we don't see some kind of significant and verifiable medical documentation this week, as strange as that sounds to say, that he is genuinely seriously injured and it happened during round one, fuck him. I don't give a fuck whose brother he is. Give him his fucking walking papers and he's not welcome back. I don't give a fuck what kind of run he goes on once he's gone. I, I fully agree because for me, like, well, me and Vincent were watching the fights. Uh, the thing that fucked with me the most, like at the end of round one, it felt like had it been me or Vincent in that situation, like Gil, you could hear Gilbert yelling and screaming at the top of his lungs. Oh, yeah. Me, you know, <laughs> like, you stay in there, stay in there, stay alive. And like, and you give a like not even that fires you the fuck up or wakes something up inside of you. Your own fucking brother screaming yeah, after three you minutes in the fight. The whole crowd, and you can't you can't get something out of yourself. Fuck yeah. being gassed or anything above. Even if he was hurt, for me that's. I know I'm not a fighter, right? We talk about this. You know, we're all armchair quarterback kind of situation, but you know. God damn, I feel like that would have touched my soul, hearing my brother scream. And then, yeah, seeing Gilbert carrying his brother out like that. Gilbert's a hell of a brother, but it uh, felt like Herbert is just really cutting it shy. It was very, very fucking disappointing. Like, well, you're making your brother look bad in that situation. Right? Like, your brother's fucking, putting his name out there for you now, and you're making him look how like How you dick. give up. In that situation, having your brother in your corner and even trying to help push you through it, it's just it's such a bad look, for, not just for you, but even on your brother. And, you know, as to what you're saying, second meter, with the whole, even if he shows that he had a legitimate injury, I don't give him a pass, period. Because no. let's go back to 
John Jones should have fought through it. That's blew his fucking knee out while fucking kicking away and continued to throw that fucking kick the entire fight. And it was basically carried out after the fight, but he fought through it. Or Burns. There was no point in that fucking fight where he looked injured. There was fights that in the fucking that Jones Tiago fight, we saw the legitimate injury and him hobbling around on it and still throwing everything he fucking had into it. I'll even take it one further than that. Um, even more degrading, in my opinion. Uh, look at what Macy Barber did when her fucking knee was a legitimate balloon against Roxy. And never quit. And Roxy, being the classy fucking gal that she was, never went for the fucking knee, even though she could have just put her finger on it and made Macy fucking tap. Never touched the fucking knee, never went for the knee. And Macy, being the tough little fucking brat that she is, stuck it the fuck out and tried to give it everything she fucking had and kept going. Never even saw a fucking ounce of quit on her goddamn face. Yes, we know that was legitimate. The fighter can have that us fight fans are attracted to, like, those yeah. are our favorite fucking fighters that tough through the worst shit and just keep fighting. Whether you fucking win or lose, that's why we love Nate Diaz, right? Whether you win right. or you lose, you don't you stop out, fucking yeah. fighting. You just keep you. You find something within yourself, and you, you you're a warrior. We love the warriors. Those are the biggest fucking fighters that yeah. we're attracted yeah. to as fight fans. Like, At this point, I think it's time for Herbert Burns to go. Yeah, he's and not he's nothing not, more than a fucking punching bag for his brother while he gets ready for fights. Because look, his brother still obviously has a lot of fight in him. Because man, did he go to war with Hamza? So the dude still got a lot of fucking fight in him. Herbert has no fight. He doesn't have that same drive, obviously. He's been carried into the UFC on his brother's fucking name. He had a few uh, moments where you're like, oh, maybe there is something that runs in the family. And then that was immediately washed away. And this, without a doubt, is that rinse cycle after the fucking wash because that fucker ain't there. The way that I see it, if the UFC cut Max Rockshoff for quitting on the stool, knowing that he didn't have enough to come back out, they absolutely should cut fucking Herbert for quitting on the fucking floor. So, that being said, though, um, one of the, I don't know, Scoob kind of moments uh, of the evening <coughs> last Saturday, at least for me, because uh, I-, I was a hundred fucking percent confident right up until... They cut to the fucking locker room camera and Ricky Simone turned around and there was no fucking mullet. It was gone. I can't tell you how happy I I was when I fucking saw that. I was like, oh, oh, yeah. I messaged golf to you immediately. All caps. Oh, shit. Ricky cut his hair. I swear to God. Immediately. Yeah, I, I I was away from my um, viewing device at the time, so I quick run back. I look, I'm going, motherfucker, we completely fucked ourselves. Because last week we were saying, mark our words, the power of the fucking mullet is real. Oh no, it fucking is. So y'all were fucking right. 
Because he cut that shit off, looked like he was fucking out of some dude out of grease lightning with that fucking new haircut. Yeah, it it was it was nerve wracking. I was genuinely nervous when we realized in the moment, right as they were getting ready to walk him the fuck out, that he had Samsoned his fucking self. And I was like, oh no, oh no, this has not worked out well historically. This is about to fuck my whole evening up. Here we go. Boy, was I happy to be wrong. Still um, got power of the mullet, even without the mullet. Ricky That's has absorbed that power within him, apparently, like fucking Goku, and doesn't need everyone to fucking feed him the vibes anymore. He could just tap God power whenever he wants and go fucking blue. And goddamn, if he didn't, he was just on fucking fire last weekend he hit jack shore with what i like to affectionately refer to as the johnny walker knockdown he hit him so hard with a one two the second shot landed and jack's legs and arms went full muppet for a second before he was able to regain control of his faculties to fall the fuck down like ricky hurt that motherfucker when he hit him and because that wasn't the stop that he needed ricky intelligently dove in properly held control and then got that fucking finish submission style instead of going for the fucking potentially dangerous knockout just eliminated the threat position submission victory beautiful fucking work from ricky simone god damn if that was not the most fucking beautiful thing that we had seen on the prelims for damn sure <laughs> it, it, it was it was it was beautiful to watch although it was dude you know, speaking of the way all of these fucking fights went last weekend, we do have to give a nod to fucking goddamn neighbor for his goddamn picks up until like fucking middle of the main card. And then the rails finally fell off, but he was on fucking fire. What did he hit? Eight in a row? Eight or yeah. nine in a row? And like four of them were perfect or something? And yeah, I was going to say, and several of them were perfect fucking picks along the way at that. Yeah. No, he was on fucking fire till the tail end of the fucking main card, and then he tripped over his dick completely. But man, uh, I, I sucked the whole entire month. Uh, <laughs> oh, man, I keep going fucking like what I want more than what I actually, you know, I'm doing the research, doing the notes, and I'm just letting the the underdogs and what I want get to me more than what I know right. is probably going to happen. And that's. That's the conversation that we had to have with our fucking casual avocado is that the problem with picking with your heart against picking with your brain is that, as we say all the time, MMA math doesn't work. It doesn't matter how logical something seems on paper in the fighting world. 98% of the time, I will say, the gut reaction is more accurate than the thought out and logically concluded decision will be when it comes to picking these goddamn fights. It's so fucking crazy. <laughs> so after Ricky just put the fucking business to Jack Shore and to his credit, Jack didn't come out and just fucking lay down. This wasn't one way fucking trap by any sense of the imagination. Jack came out and was giving it the old fucking college try. He just couldn't fucking pull one over. Ricky was just on he was fucking on saturday night yeah he couldn't find the special move button that's for sure yeah no he, he is not all charged up and just could not fucking hit the right button combo 
like Ricky Simone, you could just clearly tell is a lot stronger than Jack Shore is. It was just so easy for Simone to just kind of do whatever he wanted to do in that fight, which was the biggest thing that surprised me. Yeah, I actually expected Shore to at least put up a good fight. I mean, he's got a ways to go still, even if he was undefeated. He's got some work to do for sure. I think my biggest issue with the fight wasn't how it ended. It was how it almost and should have ended. Because right before the end, uh, Jack Shore was about to get taken to the ground with fucking authority by Ricky Simone and grabbed the fence that literally you saw the fence bow a good six inches before it finally flexed back. And the referee, rather than even saying a word or calling it out, just did the old Catholic school fucking hand slap to knock Jack's hand out after he had literally just completely stopped the momentum that was getting ready to Captain Insano powerbomb his motherfucking ass down to the fucking canvas. And... I will say this, it did only save him temporarily because Ricky still had his goddamn way with him. But the fact that we get no contest calls off a of fucking eye poke without giving somebody time, and then we turn around in the next week, we literally just hand slap a fence grab that visibly changes the fucking momentum of a fight. consistently consistently being inconsistent at this point point. Well, and the worst part is is they're not consistently taking points for that yeah because when it can literally change how something is going to play out there should be an immediate point taken absolutely if, absolutely no warning if it's that drastic take the fucking point immediately in my yeah. opinion take the point and the position put him on the fucking ground put him back down let ricky take fucking top position and take a fucking point, because fuck you. Exactly. If you're doing that shit, and it's affecting where the fight is going, should be no questions asked. It just fucking... And don't get me wrong, I'm all about warnings for some things, because there are some times where, like, you know, the inadvertent nut shot. Yeah, give a warning. Keep control of your fucking weapons. That right, when you can tell it was clearly inadvertent, I, I agree with a hard warning. Yeah, I'm okay with that. And even in the rare occasion, the iPod. Because there are some occasions where I've seen where I'm going. Right. The fist was still closed, but he did catch him with a thumb type situation because, you know, right. it, it does happen. Or when you see but, a guy move sideways into a hand and gets himself eye poked, which we've seen several times this year. Yeah. And those ones you go, okay, warning. Yeah. But not this is completely changing the course of the fight. That should be an immediate fucking point. I, I don't give a fuck who it is. Like that's something they need to toughen those toughen those refs up on because that way it'll keep people from doing that when they realize, oh fuck, I just cost myself the round or I caused this round to tie because I fucking did something stupid. Yeah, exactly. No, hopefully, hopefully, because it was brought up by the fucking comment booth or the, the commentary crew as well, how significant the fucking fence grab and the little fucking hand slap that happened because of it was. So Hopefully it carries over and at least gets repeated back into the right people's ears this week so that they pay closer attention coming into London. That being said, though, uh, um, the 
quote unquote. Oh, Before we get into the main card, can I just mention how much I fucking hated the ABC sports jackets on every one of those motherfuckers? I I uh, see. I'm I'm fifty fifty. I didn't hate the ABC sports jackets on everyone. What I hated was the ABC sports jacket on DC's fat ass who couldn't make it to the fucking ceremony where they presented the commentary crew with those jackets. Because if you watch that video and you see the look on John Anik's face where he has literally been asking everyone behind the scenes all goddamn week if they were going to get to wear those fucking jackets because he grew up on that shit and it meant something to him. The look on his face when they presented them those jackets was all the reason you need to understand why DC's fat ass not being able to make the fucking appointment should have also been enough reason to keep his fat ass out of a fucking gold jacket. That was my issue with it. And, and look, I, I'm, I'm okay with them getting in the jacket being as it's on ABC, but it's not fucking ABC that runs it. It's still fucking the UFC. Let those guys wear their normal fucking suits. This isn't... This isn't fucking boxing. They don't need a fucking uniform. They've never needed a uniform, nor do I want them to have some sort of fucking uniform like that. So to be honest, cool that you got something that you grew up on with. That's fucking awesome. I give you credit for that. But as far as the book is concerned, that's not the brand the UFC has. And to be honest, not a fan of it. As a fan, not a fan. That's what I said. Just Anik having one, maybe even Anik and Olivi, because Megan was super excited about it as well. If those two got to wear the gold jacket and everybody else is just normal, I think it would have been fucking well, great. And I think here's my issue with it is when I see something like the gold jacket like that, I my mind immediately goes to the wild world of sports or to the fucking Olympics. This is neither one of those. Right. I, I guess you go wide world of sports, but... It, I was going to say, it air quote kind of was Wide World, but even then, like, that's what I said. I don't think everybody should have gotten a gold jacket. Anik was like a little kid on Christmas morning. He had been asking people. There's several reports. John Anik was literally like that kid knowing his birthday was coming, asking everyone, am I going to get what I want? 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 I think where I had the biggest issue is there was, if anybody got them, it should not have been the ringside guys. Because, look, I was picking them out like a sore fucking thumb every time the camera panned by. Bam. Bright fucking gold jackets taking your eye off where the action is. This should have been left for the desk upstairs. Yeah, the comedy desk. They didn't fucking have that. I mean, one of them did. But not all of them. Which, I was like, you know... It should have been those guys because those are the guys you expect to have that. The ones that are kind of away from the action. Not the ringside commentary. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Either way, just thought I'd bring that up because it did kind of fucking bug the shit out of me. Rest of it, though, meh. No, the, the look on John Anik's face because they made him close their eyes and like presented it to them legitimately as a surprise cage side before they started the broadcast, like a couple hours. And it was on the UFC stories. I don't even know if they made it an actual post because uh, they were live on the UFC's fucking Instagram page. So you had to fucking watch. And, or you got to watch, rather. You got to see it happen live. And John Anik was literally, like, bouncing in place when they told him to close his eyes. He's like, is it the jackets? Is it the jackets? Tell me it's the jackets. Somebody tell me we're getting a jacket. Like, he was so fucking excited. Like, you saw how much that meant to him. Megan, slightly less, but the same. And then, like I said, DC wasn't even fucking there. 
Like, if you can't be bothered to turn up for the meeting, you shouldn't get the presence that everyone who showed up to the fucking meeting gets. That's how that works. But fuck DC. Anyways, um, moving on from there to the quote-unquote premier prelim fight last weekend. Um, look, Pinelli Soriano was getting fucking worked in round one. And I don't know if it was the pep talk that his fucking coaches gave him or if he was pulling a fucking rope-a-dope and trying to wear out Dolce, but whatever the fuck happened in between round one and round two, a different dude came out to that fight. And when he came out in round two, he just decided that my power hand, my left hand here, it, it really wants to meet your chin really bad. Hey, can we say kapow? And it was fucking over. Like, I don't know genuinely if he was fucking around in round one and just wasn't being serious or if he was genuinely being that outclassed because he was looking very slouchy in round one and different completely when round two came about and it literally took him 20 i think it was 24 seconds before the ref came running and 28 total for the official time to stop in the second round less than 30 fucking seconds yeah, if you blinked in that second round, you fucking missed it. Cause yeah, it was over. <laughs> he came out like a fucking like a man possessed in the second round, which to be honest, he needed to do because he you're right, he didn't look that great in the first. It was fairly competitive because Lung Yambula didn't look great in the first either, to be quite honest. Like to be honest, I was kind of disappointed in where that premier prelim was going because I, I had a little bit of higher expectations for it. And it didn't deliver until the fucking beginning of the second. And I was like, okay, this is what I was expecting out of these two. Somebody's going to sleep. And it finally happened. I For a second, I thought we were going to get a fucking, uh, you know, a middleweight fucking walrus fight. It was, there was a moment of genuine concern about it, for sure. <laughs> oh, but... As if that craziness 30 seconds into round two fucking going nuts wasn't enough to get you going. Uh, then we come on to the actual main card last weekend. Um, <laughs> me, she got beat like a punching bag. Like all that shit she talked about being inspired by fucking uh, Pena and wanting to try and go after another goat, blah, 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 that Murphy didn't stand a chance against her. If she spent half as much time training as she did talking shit, this would have been a completely different fight. But I I will say this. I'm not 100% sure whether she has just legitimately lost that much of a step that when it comes to the genuine top of that 125-pound division, she just can't hold a candle. Or she was not nearly prepared for what Lauren Murphy healthy and tired of the bullshit being overlooked was going to fucking bring. But either way, it was a great night for Lauren Murphy and a real bad night to be a cupcake. Uh, she got fucking handled. She's not ready. Lauren's not ready to go back to a title shot right away yet. I think she still needs one more good win. But this kicks Misha completely out of the fucking conversation. At this point, honestly, I'm going to be genuinely impressed if we don't see Misha get walking papers this week. Because it, that solidified the fact that she's not getting a title shot at 125. She's not getting a title shot at 135. And she's not going to balloon up to try and even consider doing a 145 fight. And she's way too big to cut further down to try and go for 15. So she's yeah. out of ops. 
the only thing I can say on that one, uh, and is her alligator mouth overloaded her canary ass this time. And to her credit, credit where credit is due, she did not stop fighting. She kept marching forward, getting her ass whipped the whole time. Even when her fucking eye was ballooned to shit, she was still fucking moving forward like a true fucking warrior. And I give her that. That's one thing that she has not lost from the first fight I've seen her in, gone way the fuck back to Invicta, all the way to fucking where she's at now. The only thing I can think is she didn't train harder for this one. And I'm wondering if the drop-in from 135 to 125 had something to do with that of maybe getting used to the weight class. And that is not the fight you want coming into the weight class. Because to be honest, Lauren Murphy is not a world breaker by any means. But she is definitely solid top of the pack in the fucking flyweight solid, division. The she's genuinely solid, man. She's nothing to fucking overlook for damn sure. And I, I really feel like Misha did. And it, it showed. <laughs> But no, I, I agree with you completely. Herbert Burns could absolutely learn a thing from Misha Tate about hanging in there, even when you're looking down the fucking losing barrel, toughing it out, even when you're genuinely fucking hurt, still hanging in there. But no, Lauren Murphy beat her like a fucking wet rug. <laughs> it was bad, man. It was bad. Uh, that being said, uh, speaking of being beaten like a fucking rug, um, there are not too many dudes in the UFC's 45-pound division that can take a fucking shot like Shane Burgos and keep walking forward. And we saw that no less than a genuine full-on dozen times or more in this fucking fight against Charles Jordan, who was, you could see, giving every fucking ounce of everything he had, just trying to put Burgos away. And a couple times, you saw him land a shot that sounded like somebody hitting a heavy bag with an aluminum baseball bat. And Burgos would literally smile, and his eyes would get big, and he would go like this, and then literally press forward immediately. Like, it lit him up. It got him going. When he got cracked, he was having a genuine Rocky moment, like getting punched made him alive. And he was just swarming all over Jordan because of it. And he smiled every time he got hit hard, like not just a little smile, but like fucking yeah. giant toothy grin smiles. Like he get cracked hard as fuck and just cheese it up, boys. Here we fucking go. And he'd be right back in there. So dude literally has he probably has one of the best chins in all of MMA right now uh, it's he's he's fucking up there with probably the likes of like even fucking Max Holloway because yeah. Max has got a chin for days but Shane has it for days too because look that first round between them was pretty fucking close could have flip-flopped either way Shane definitively took the second round and then he got his ass stomped in the third so he's lucky that fucking decision went that way it was it was wild. Cody Garbrandt is trying to get some stem cells from Shane Burgos to put in his fucking jaw for next week. Like he needs more than stem cells for fuck's yeah, sake. Yeah, no, Burgos was hanging in there with a fucking 
granite chin, man. Just and giving as good as he got too. So absolute credit to fucking Jordan as well because Burgos was fucking hammering right back every time. Like they were slinging goddamn leather. Those boys put on a hard. 15 fucking minutes that is where you got your goddamn money's worth if nothing else on that fucking card those boys made sure you were fucking entertained bravo to both men (laughs) not entertained yes they did to be honest had they not been outshined in the second round of the next fight coming up they would have had fight in the night in my opinion yeah (laughs) they were damn sure setting the fucking pace they held the fucking bar for sure no, but uh, like TJ said, uh, they they held the bar for what is that? Uh, nine nine and a half. Oh, nine and, and a half. Almost minutes. almost a solid ten minutes. Uh, and then um, Matt Schnell, much much like a fight we saw earlier, was getting pieced the fuck up in round one, and decided that. Round two, you know, we're just not going to do that anymore. We're, we're going to do a whole different thing this round. We're, we're going to forget about that. We're going to do this over here. And whatever that switch flipped, Matt Schnell got cereal. He got real fucking cereal when round two came out and just got smoother than a baby's ass full of chalk dust, man. Just handled fucking business. Beautifully fucking done. That was absolutely the wildest fucking round two that we've seen all year from Schnell being damn near put the fuck to sleep to coming back and subbing some Darji. Dude, he, cause look, some Darji was whipping his fucking ass. Yes, he was. Like he had him out on his feet a couple of times and just couldn't seem to finish it. And coming back from that hot fucking mess that he was to bloodying up Suma Darji and then fucking getting the submission. <laughs> absolutely brilliant probably one of the best comebacks all year to be quite honest like there was no reason that schnell had any reason winning that fight at all he was no, he he was counted out for all intents and purposes oh yeah he, he was getting worked like a fucking hebrew slave and by the goddamn <laughs> end of it he came back and overtook his fucking takers and poof it was an absolute thing of beauty and to be honest that's the kind of fights I want to show people who haven't seen mixed martial arts and understand, Hey, this is why we watch this sport. This, that this is fucking round right there has everything you need to know about mixed martial arts from the strikings, the comebacks to the ground game. It literally had every fucking thing, but in quick succession, it was absolutely fucking yeah. beautiful to watch. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Great fucking work for, by, by both gentlemen in there for damn sure. Uh, and then that will bring us to the people's co-main event. Um, the Leech versus the King of Kung Fu. Holy shit. Um, you could tell that Lee was carrying a little bit of a chip on his shoulder from what Kamzat did to him. Like, there was a little bit of, no, no, fuck you in the way that he was fighting. Like, you could see there was, he put a little stank on the edge of every fucking thing he was letting go. And he was like, King of Kung Fu, my ass, bitch. Hi-ya! And fucking just doing fucking beautiful goddamn work. Um, 
this one was very much unlike the other fight uh, or the fight before it rather whereas lee came out and was kicking ass and taking names from the fucking opening bell muslim just could not get his fucking game plan initiated lee was a fucking man possessed if ever there fucking was one in there and just did beautiful fucking work um this is kind of what we were talking about after the fucking Kamzat fight is that I don't know if it was just the randomness of the way that Kamzat does what he does or the spotlight that he was thrust into that kind of overwhelmed the leech in their fight, but that very much was not who he is. And this was a great emphatic exclamation point on that statement this last weekend. That was an absolute fucking brilliant performance. I, to be honest, I did have a small question about how the leech was going to come back after just getting absolutely worked by fucking Kamzat. Carried two fucking over and talked. Yeah, no, it was that was definitely the Kamzat. I, I, the definitely Kamzat knocked that chip on that shoulder. Yeah. This man. The leech was back and he looked like the fucking leech, which was fucking fantastic. To be honest, get him back in there because it's time. He, he he needs he needs to get up back towards the top of that. Don't don't, don't bench where him. he yeah. belongs. I agree. Keep him fucking moving. Let him get right back yeah. into things. He had a, so he had a little stumble against a fucking rising star and fucking comes out your mind. And you know what? It happens. It happens to a lot of great fighters who have fall into up and coming start. Dustin Poirier fell to fucking McGregor at one point. There's been a lot of them who have had that stumble where it's just an up and comer that's just at the time way better than everybody else. The leech might be that guy right now. He might be that guy that has that chance to make it back up to the top and get a shot at the title after the way he looked there. Definitely, especially having the King of Kung Fu across the cage from him. Right. That's not a walk in the park for any man. Yeah, no, he it wasn't like he was crushing fucking camp. Like, he was doing legitimate fucking work, and he did work. <laughs> so, from the King of Kung Fu getting his ass handed to him, that'll bring us to the co-main events. Uh, the Karate Karen versus Amanda Limos. Um before we even get into the fight, how the fuck did Michelle Watterson age like milk in the last six months? Like, she had saggy cleavage gap. Like, she had old lady wrinkles between her titties at one point during this week when she was doing interviews. How the fuck does that even happen when you're still 30? Like, in the last six months, she demanded to speak to the manager, and it it showed. Um, I, I don't know, because she still won't talk about it, what the extent of the quote-unquote injury was that sidelined her for shorter than she originally said it was going to. Um, but she clearly just is getting left behind by the game because she didn't look out of sorts she looked exactly like the michelle waterson we have seen time and time and time again but it looked like limos just had no issue with her at any point in that fight like she was able to pretty much do what she wanted when she wanted how she wanted it yeah. without any real fear of repercussions 
I think the OG and Michelle Waterson is definitely turning into the OG now because you've got these new like Amanda Lemos coming up where they're just able to walk right through her. And that's not to take anything away from what Michelle has done because she's had a very good fucking career, but we're definitely on that fucking downslope. As much as I hate to say it for being as young as she is, she's definitely on the downslope. She should be peaking around this age, not fucking falling off, but you know. You also got to take into consideration she legitimately fought, I would say, probably more than half her career or at least the better part of her career, cutting down to Adam Wayne. Not that she's a big girl to begin with, but even walking around, she's openly talked about it this week that she's still hoping the UFC will add an Adam Wayne division. But even when she was naturally smaller, she even still then had to cut a little bit of weight because she liked to be at Adam weight. It was closer to where she walked than fighting up at 15. So I don't know, man. I, I don't know. Maybe at Adam weight, she'd be a problem, but you know, that's even I, then, I, even right now, the way that MMA has changed since she has come into the game, and I'm not trying to age her or anything because shit, she's fucking younger than I am. Right. But the way the game has changed over the last, let's just say, decade, over the last decade, since let's say 2012, it has evolved leaps and bounds. And to be honest, a lot of those old dogs are not learning the new tricks that these younger fighters are coming in with, and it's showing. And it's not that they're a step behind. It's just that they're a fucking step behind. Yeah. Namely, learning all of these new things and the way that they're training now is way different than what they trained fucking a decade ago. Training has gotten smarter. It's gotten more precise. Yep. And I think some of these old dogs are still using those old training methods that you don't evolve with the times, you're going to get left in dust. That's just how that fucking works. But, you know, I, to be honest, I was fully expecting her to take the gloves off at the end of that fight. I was fully expecting them to be laid down in the middle of the fucking octagon and have her fucking one-on-one. And what a better way to go out than on fucking nationally televised TV. Right. Yeah, no, that that would have been the moment for sure. Like, And I... I don't know if it was because we've seen the trend carrying over the summer, but I, I legitimately at the end of the Lauren Murphy fight thought that Misha was going to set her gloves down in the fucking octagon. And then after the submission against fucking Lemos thought that Watterson was going to do the same fucking thing. I thought we were going to see a fucking Jessica I moment here and it legitimately no one would have been surprised in either fucking situation here. So uh, I, Michelle Watterson is, is very much in a similar boat to, uh, fucking Misha Tate here in that neither one of them are ever getting another type of shot. Like, you will never see a challenge for the belt in the rest of your career, no matter what you do. So, yeah. now it becomes a matter of how many more quote-unquote big fights do you really want to hang around for? Because you're just going to be used for your name at this point. Even the biggest fight they give you will only be because someone is expected to beat the shit out of you, and they want the value your name still carries. How long do you want to do that? Yep, that's it too. And to be honest, even as lightning struck in a fucking bottle here and she won six fights in the next three years, I still don't think she'd get a fucking title fight. I'm saying that's fighting once every six months. Yeah, I don't don't think I would save it at this point. I agree. I agree. 
<sighs> but speaking of not being able to fucking save it, oh, um, one of the more, uh, I think anticlimactic would be about the only accurate word we can use, uh, endings to one of the cards that had so much fucking hype on it coming in the main events Ortega versus Rodriguez right out the gate. Shit is crazy. Both guys, you can see clearly fucking want it. Um, Yair goes for an arm bar. Ortega stacks him up. When Ortega goes to pull his arm back and try and readjust, his entire shoulder pops out of socket. They have to stop the fight. Uh, this is the same shoulder that Brian Ortega has had two previous surgeries on for this exact issue. Yeah. And it's speaking of this, Ortega finally released his statement. Was it yesterday or today? I don't remember. Yesterday. After sleeping on it for at least 72 hours or whatever the, his fucking rule of thumb for him is. But he's like, yeah, my arm wasn't in any trouble. Because look, the, the dude's a legitimate great fucking black belt. I mean, Gracie's. That's the reason why you see belt. fucking heat on in his corner and fucking. He said he's pulling it out, and he got to where he felt his arm was safe. And as he went to finally do the final tug, that's when it fucking popped out. Like as you see him start to really stack upright and start to get that final pull out, he said, "Yep." He said, just freak injury. I think I'm, look, freak injuries happen in MMA all the time. We, we see it, it. It happens. It's part of the fight game. But what pisses me off is when I see somebody go and celebrate a freak injury win, like Yair did right away. And then afterwards, he came to his fucking senses of, oh, I didn't do that. Uh, let me go check on it. And that just gave me more fuel to my fire of fucking hitting Yair. So it was another point of fucking seeing a fuck you Yair moment of him being an absolute fucking shitbag human being. Whether they're friends or not, I don't give a flying fuck. Pretty pissed about the way I seen that, even though he did eventually come back to check on him. Did still a scumbag in my opinion. For that, that initially pissed me off the same, but then this whole week, this just like continued to get worse. I've heard Michael Bisping and then sweet Uncle Chael, you know, smoking the crack pipe, fucking saying that it was a submission victory for Yair. And Yair should, after this fight, be calling for the title fight because it shouldn't have been declared a technical knockout victory. It should have been a submission victory just because he was going for a submission and then Brian gets hurt out of that thing. I'm like, what are you fucking smoking? If anything, it should be a no contest. No different than we have with eye pokes. Uh, that's where I, with these injuries, just like Jan and Rockich a couple months back, when a fight ends that way, I don't want to see one guy advance, which we haven't seen with Jan, right? It doesn't look like Jan's going to get the title fight against Yuri, at least from what we're hearing. No, so, not when he's fighter. You, you don't want to see somebody advance off an injury, but I also don't want to see these fighters that are getting hurt. Like I love Brian Ortega, but get my get my um, 
fan side out of it, it I don't want to see a fighter take this kind of an injury that's going to potentially he's going to have to have surgery potentially another six months to a year before he can fight again and then it's going to knock him down and the rankings knock him out of the picture because you're declaring this a technical knockout loss and then well, he's going to have to work harder it should just be that simple sh- kind of like with pedro muñoz that you're able to win one more decent fight and get your name back in the mix a little bit yep hey here's the shitty thing with this is Knowing from a medical side of the house, being as I'm formally medically trained, with a shoulder, depending on how bad that fucking coming out of sake did to his entire shoulder cuff, he could be having a fucking rotator cuff tears, some labral tears, and some other fucking tears in there. Depending on what that is, it's going to require surgery. Most time when your fucking shoulder comes out, there are more than one tear in your rotator cuff. So it requires surgery to fix. Now, don't get me wrong. Because of the caliber of fighter he is and that it happened in the octagon, the UFC is going to pay for the best fucking sports orthopedic doctor that they can get their fucking hands on to fix him so he can get back in. The downside to this is even with a good turnaround, you're looking at a bare minimum of six months of recovery. Minimum. Now, to get back to fighting shape, you're looking at at least a year. We're not going to see him. And yes, he's a high-level athlete. And there is a potential for like eight months or nine months. I don't think so. I think we're going to see something similar to when he got his ass whipped by fucking Max Holloway to where we don't see him again for a fucking year. And this is just due to a fucking injury. And the unfortunate part is this is going to give... them a reason to go well we're not going to run this back right away with yair because it's going to take at least a year for him to fucking heal up from that if he did tear anything and it's not if it's how much he tore in there but which is cool and all but that's the thing this week it's just pissed me off like chill sonnen needs to put smoke in the crack uh yair and emmett probably need to fight for a number one like yair shouldn't be calling for a title shot after that saying that he won by submission that that's a whole lot of bullshit and then i just hope that we don't see brian trail off too horribly even though he's going to be out for a while you know you're just going to fall in the rankings when you don't get to fight but yeah you just, it, it's a sucky feeling even worse it feels like because of how it looked like i was getting at like even the tko like they actually a doctor stoppage or whatever gives a fighter a win and then a fighter a loss. It feels like it's more significant to the losing fighter in that situation than it should be compared to a no contest in my eyes, where it's just like an injury happens, no contest, like an eye poke. Let's do it. The fight never happened. Just scrap it. Well, and when that fighter's healthy again, we'll try to get him another top fight because that's the thing. After that, I don't feel like they're going to get Brian a really – like, they're probably not going to get him a top five fight. He'll probably be lucky if he stays in the top ten before he can come back. Yeah, he'll probably get a top five fight, to be quite honest, because he's been at the top of that stack for so long that – think so? Oh, yeah. Because Arnold Allen will probably get – I feel like he'll be up in the top five at that point, moving his way, and then the Emmett and Yair thing will get figured out before he comes back, but – well, here, here's the reason why I say this. Look at how long he's been right at the top five of the stack there. Um, 
it's something where you've been there long enough. They're going to throw you right back at it when you come back from injury. They do this with a lot of fighters. I mean, I hope so. Even That's what I hope they do with Chris Weidman this year, too. Like, yeah, and let's, too go with the, let's go with the I'm dead obvious out. one. Conor McGregor. He's gotten his ass whipped a couple times lately, but they're still going to throw him right back to the top of the stack because he's been sitting at that top of the stack for so long. Now, the thing with him is he has a money train behind him, so they're always yeah. going to throw him towards the stop. But even guys where you have Brian Ortega, he started to become that money train as well, just in a different sense, because people want to watch him fight. So they will tune in. There will be eyes there. And so he'll go right back to the top. Now, is he going to be getting a number two or number three guy? Probably not. He'll probably be getting a number four, number five guy, which is fine. Because coming off of that, they're not going to give him a tune-up fight. So you're not going to get him in a between five and ten ranked guy. He's not getting a tune-up fight. He's going to go right back into the top of the stack to see if he still fucking belongs there or not. Which, in a year, that could change where it looks like he doesn't belong. On the other side of that, he could come back stronger from that fucking injury and just decimate somebody and go, you know what? Good thing we fucking did this right away. And um, I do see that out there. No, it was not ruled a doctor stoppage. It was ruled a TKO. Well, yeah, but that's the thing, right? Even if they declare a doctor stoppage, don't they still give the like an actual win and loss on? Yeah, the fighter they still give a win and loss off of it, no matter Connor what. Fight last year. Well, yeah, because even when Connor broke his leg, they ruled it a TKO, even though it's a doctor stoppage. It's it goes down in the books as a fucking TKO. Yeah, that's all I'm getting at. I heard Shale Sun and Bisping say something about that should have been a submission victory. I feel like you argue more for a no contest instead well, of a TKO even. The only reason be. I can't argue for a no contest in this one, because technically... Ortega was in a position of danger having his arm taken. Well, I also know no contest is supposed to kind of refer to the foul too, right? Like, yeah, that's more along the lines of a foul or like like an accidental foul is usually when you'll see like a no contest. Just, it would feel, for me, it would feel nice if we just kind of, instead of giving a win or a loss on a fighter's record, somebody gets hurt in a freak accident like that, just scrap the fight. And Don't get me wrong, and I, I'm a huge Brian Ortega fan, but he was in a position of fucking danger. Now, how much danger he was in, that's fucking debatable. Um, he says he wasn't in much according to what he released. But because he was in that position of danger when the injury occurred while he was pulling his arm out, that can, can be considered a fucking KO. It seems like a weird thing to say that. But yeah, technically, that can be considered a fucking stoppage uh, because had he not been in that position, he wouldn't have tugged that arm his arm wouldn't have fucking popped out of soccer like it that. So, I mean, it's kind of a two-way street. It sucks that it ended in a freak injury like that, because to be honest, if you're going to expect something to pop out of socket, it would have been his elbow from the fucking arm bar, not the shoulder. Yeah. And um, con contrary to what people think, arm bars don't fuck up your shoulder. They fuck <laughs> up your elbow. <laughs> oh, it, yeah, they, there was a freak incident, and Unfortunately, we could all live through and watch that bullshit as Yair gets another unjust fucking goddamn boost to his bullshit. But you know what? It is what it is. That's part of the game. 
we can only grin, bear it, and pretty good that fucking Brian Ortega comes back way stronger than he was in this fight. Because to be honest, I thought from what I was seeing warm-ups and everything that he was doing, he looked fucking fantastic. Like he was ready to go. They were obviously both on their fucking ponies and ready to go. And it was just a it was a weird fucking situation. And yeah, it, it was similar to that type of situation as well. The Woodley Covington thing with the takedown where the freak rib injury t- took place. So it, it was similar in that sense to that. But I mean, there's there's some oddballs with that where I mean it's rare that we see a freak injury like that stop a fight. Cause I mean, I, I can't think of too many off the top of my head. I mean, outside of the obviously ones like the Chris Weidman, Anderson Silva, fucking broken leg incident. Those ones, the broken leg incident with fucking Connor. Those are the ones where you, when you see a freak injury, those are the ones that you're thinking about. And yet, yeah, we can even go say as far as Woodley's ribs, that another freak injury, but you would, I'd be remiss to say it's more surprising when we see a finish like that than we do of somebody getting knocked out because yeah, the freak injuries just don't occur that often. That's the reason why we call them freak injuries, apparently. Because yeah. I mean, look at it in the last in the last two years, how many freak injuries have we seen stop fights that you can name? I can name two: Connors and this one. I can't think of any other really freak injuries that have occurred that have stopped fights. Oh, Chris, Chris Weidman. He snapped oh, yeah, Chris Weidman. That's right, because he suffered the fucking same injury that happened to him in the fucking... Other and, than that, yeah, no, I can't think of any other, because uh, fucking Jimmy Crude or whatever, he, it, we thought at first, I remember, it was that same card, right, that Chris... Yep. snapped his leg after the fact we thought that it, it might have been a broken leg or something with jimmy crew in that fight but it was really just he had got hit in that sweet spot behind the calf it just kind of locked his leg up you know it's just the hitting that right muscle hitting the right tendon and he was able to fucking kind of walk around later that day hours after you know like it was a muscle thing more than it was he broke a leg but i remember they reported it at first broken leg so, yeah, we haven't seen any other crazy, like, three, right? You got Chris yeah. Weidman and then Connor. Yeah, like, they're Rockage Rock, tearing up his knee. I don't think that's a frequent. Well, and, that and that's the thing. In the middle of a fight, and that was a bummer. Notice how we're having really good, but that wasn't a freak injury, I don't think. Oh, and, and that's it. Right here, this says it all. We're having a hard time trying to figure out who had the freak injuries. That tells you how rare it is in the MMA world for that shit to happen. So when shit like this happens, yeah, there is a legitimate reason to say, you know what, maybe they should rule it in a contest. But in a situation like this where playing devil's advocate here, he was in a fucking bad position. You can't rule out the KO even though it's a freak fucking injury just because he was in a bad position that caused him to have to try to correct it. it. At least you're not on... Uncle Chael and the crack smoking and thinking it was a submission finish. Yeah, no, <laughs> definitely not a submission victory, Uncle Chael. That's not how that works because he never tapped. It's only a submission if they tap or go to sleep. That's yeah. all I'm saying. But, yeah. and Bisping, Bisping and Kenny Florian, they were both on the same train as Chael with that this week. I'm like, what the fuck's going on and, with and this t- fucking submission finish crap? And look, I understand their train of thought, but they're dead fucking wrong in that instance. Yeah, 
submission means to submit. Right. He did he not submit. He didn't even get the armbar set up. He just he had, he had pressure on his arm. Like Brian even said, that's what they were trying to use. Brian's quote, oh, there was pressure on my arm, and I tried to get it out, and then it just popped. So that there's pressure on the arm, and he's trying to get himself out, and then his fucking arm just pops out of socket. Oh, yeah, submission victory. There you go. Yair, go, go shout yourself out for the title. Fuck, fuck the Emmett fight. Yair needs a title shot. He won by submission. Right. What's everybody smoking this week? Right. Oh, shit. Exactly. They're smoking some shit that you probably don't want to put in your body this week. Right, no doubt. No bath salts here. (laughs) No doubt. Sorry about that. The uh, local trees are really fucking Harvey Weinstein in my nose lately. It's just not fun. (laughs) So, uh, did you guys get into any news here? No, I mean we just no. kept rolling with that fucking main event. We were just that works. That works. Yeah, okay, there's a so lot then, to be said about that. Yeah, <laughs> I was gonna say. So, bonuses. I'm both okay with and angry at the bonuses from last weekend. At the same time, um, I'm okay with the fact that they did stick with the traditional. Somebody gets a fight of the night, and we get performance of the night bonuses. On the other hand. I understand that there was a lot of great fights and they like giving everybody bonuses, but it diminishes the statistics that you keep up having a performance of the night bonus when you don't only give two per night anymore. It, it meant something when there was only two of those per card. When they're giving away six, eight, nine bonuses per card, it diminishes what you have to do to get one because at once upon a time, you were only eligible for performance of the night bonus, if you got a stoppage, period, submission, KO, TKO, doctor stoppage, something, you had to stop the fight to be eligible for a performance of the night bonus. Now, that's generally anyone who stops a fight automatically gets one, and that diminishes the, the importance of having to work for them when they first started giving them, so. You know, that's a double-edged sword for me, because you finish fight. I always think you finish fight. You should get a bonus. However, they shouldn't be making what they need to do is write this into these people's contracts. If you're going to do that kind of thing. All right. You get a stoppage. We're going to pay you X extra dollars. And then if it's the greatest stoppage on the card knockout in a greatest stoppage submission, then you can possibly tack on an extra 50 K bonus. So they should be well, writing something into their contracts instead of just giving out fucking Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's some, there should be some kind of written structured bonus for stoppages like that. But at the same time, when you've got, I think this was four cards or five cards in a row where they just basically gave everyone who got to finish a bonus. If they have enough money to give away a half a million dollars in bonuses, every card, how do they also have a leg to stand on to say they can't pay them more? Like we're not going to get into that whole conversation, but if you're giving away literally more than a quarter million dollars just in bonuses every single week, it makes it real hard to believe when you say you can't afford to raise average fighter pay. Yeah, uh, that, that tells you you're giving that much away. You can obviously fucking raise it. That, that says the money's there. It's just not being allocated very well, apparently. 
So apparently we don't need somebody to rerun the UFC. We just need a new fucking accountant for the UFC. But bonuses we did get last weekend. Uh, fight of the night, I, I'm absolutely okay with. Uh, Matt Schnell versus Sumer Daji. Uh, that was a fucking spectacular fight. I'm absolutely okay with them getting fight of the night. Um, performance of the night went to the finishers. Uh, Bill Algio, Dustin Jacoby, Lee Jing Liang, Amanda Limosh, Ricky Simone, and Punyeli Soriano all got 50K. So if you can give that much fucking bonus away every single week, you can give everybody a couple grand more across the fucking board and then add some structures in for the bonuses with the money that you clearly have fucking squirreled away, Dana. Quit Imagine giving quarter meals to fucking YouTubers. This week. Yeah, yeah, quit giving quarter meals to fucking YouTubers. Give it to the people who fucking work for you, who make your bald ass famous. Fuck not. Yeah, they legitimately gave away $300,000 in bonuses. 300000 Just That's just this weekend. That's just this last weekend. Yes. Yeah, that's not including what happened on the pay-per-view previously or the week prior. Look... I'm thinking maybe we need to go back and look at all of the bonuses that were done through the year to see how much money they've given out. This, this will come back. I promise you, this will come back to help us close out our new segment. Oh my God. Did I see one that fucking. Cause it's absolutely fucking dumbfounding that these guys aren't getting paid what they should be. Yeah. And, and look, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying they deserve boxer money because boxer money is fucking filled to the gills with fucking bullshit and uh, well, I will say non-legitimate money that some of them are getting from these fights because of the way things are Right, if they want to open up MMA to the corruption and the fucking bullshit money that causes boxers to get boxer money, then we can start having that conversation but in the meanwhile, it's just a fun allocation issue more than anything I feel like it would at least be a good idea to maybe up it like the base about, you know, the bonus amount, about 50K. Because then if a fighter like what we had this week with Matt Schnell, Sumo Darji, the loser of that fight, you get your base pay of the 50K, right? And then you get a bonus. So then you get 100K. If that's your only fight in the year, 100K is good enough to lit because you have to pay your, your coaches and your team, right? So after all that stuff, it's still probably enough to actually comfortably live on in the country, right? It'd be at least better. It'd be better off instead of having a good majority of fighters, you know, living like most of us flipping burgers at a McDonald's or something like that. Right. <laughs> okay. So um, with that being said, uh, I'm going to try and crush down the news here as quick as possible. Luckily, the vast majority of the news that we've gotten in the last week all pertains to the same two fucking topics. So it's going to save us a little bit of time, but I'm just I'm going to try and crush down this by all means. If there's something that strikes your fancy, feel free to jump in. Otherwise, I'm going to try and cruise control this bitch in overdrive. So first and foremost, uh, starting out with something that was originally for next weekend, but got the brakes put on and actually got brought back to this weekend. Um, Ignacio Bahamondes turns out last minute, oops, can't get his fucking visa. So he doesn't get to fly in to fight on 277 next weekend anymore. Um, but what they did do, however, was keep Ludwig Klein on hand and bring in Mason Jones, who quite literally just asked to be on the London card, what, two fucking weeks ago when we saw him? Surprise, surprise, turns out there's a fucking opening. So 
they did the old fucking swaparoo, brought Ludwig Klein to London instead, and now they've got Mason Jones coming in. So this weekend, we will see Ludwig Klein versus Mason Jones on a four-day notice fight swap. Instead of fighting next weekend, they are fighting this weekend in London. So hats off to both of those gentlemen. That is cool as shit for both of them to fucking step up on that. Um, the first chunk we have got here, UFC 279, September 10th in Las Vegas T-Mobile Arena. Got two gigantic fights added to it this week. The first one being Johnny Walker versus Ian Kutalaba, which is a fucking spectacular matchup, and I am absolutely in agreement with them making that. The other one that has got the internet quite literally losing its motherfucking mind was the one that broke all of the interwebs when they announced it. The final contracted appearance of one Nathaniel Diaz versus none other than the wolf himself, Bors Kamzat Shemaev at UFC 279. Dave said time and time again, they wanted to make this fight. It is now official. Pen has been put to paper. Diaz wants out. They said, here's your fucking door. Well, Diaz signed it, so... We're apparently Let's doing this. Go. You know what the greatest thing about that is? Is it's not the fight itself. Uh, what's that guy's name now? Is it Mujahideen? Does the little animated fucking skits for the US about the UFC shit? He, he literally nailed that on the head. That is Daddy Dana trying to fuck up Nate's fucking legacy by feeding him to the fucking wolves. And yeah, it reminds me of Vince McMahon. Some Vince McMahon shit. <laughs> A hundred fucking percent right there. And to be honest, don't get me wrong. Do I think Hamzat's going to finish Diaz? No, I don't. That dude is too fucking stupid to die. And he will sit. I, I sent a fucking picture to meet earlier today. He's going to look beat the fuck up on this stool before he comes up with one more fuck you and a fucking Stockton slap. Because guarantee he will Stockton slap Hamzat at least once. It might be only once, but it will fucking I was going to say, it might be the only one he gets. I, I very much at this point am anticipating a very similar, albeit a little bit more acrobatic uh, version of Nate Diaz versus Leon Edwards. I, I think for the vast probably four minutes and 38-ish seconds of the fifth round and the preceding 20 minutes leading up to it, Kamzat is just going to have his goddamn way with Nate Diaz. But then, as is always the fucking case, because Kamzat will hang in there, Nate will crack him with something that puts him on fucking Wobble Street, stocked and slap him, point at him, and then wait for the fucking bell to ultimately lose by decision. But it, it will be glorious on the road to that point. <laughs> if something wild happens where fucking Nate somehow manages to stop him, dude, there's only one way that that Octagon interview can go, and that better be him saying, fuck the UFC, and w- walking out of the fucking cage, not answering any right. questions. You took everything I worked for, motherfuckers. Fuck you, and then walk out. Just like when he beat Connor and just giving us the fuck you know, are you surprised, motherfuckers? Right. You know, like a lot of people are already like I, I heard the odds, like Hamzat's favorite, like 
what by uh, 1100 minus 1100 I was gonna say I last so I saw was minus 1150 odds. favorite yeah mm-hmm. comes out was the minus 1150 favorite already you can't count out the dog man he's literally one of the biggest dogs we've ever had in in the sport this even if he's been on that same kind of losing streak and everything yeah I'm excited it, it was either this or Connor right like what other Nathan. fights could they have given Nate that would have been more exciting? Because they, they weren't going to give him a title shot. Oh, they but didn't want to give him Connor because that might fuck up the Connor cash cow. Yeah, I was going to say, they've got Connor on but the now, back. But now he can fuck up the Hamzat cash cow. And that, for me, is the fan. That's what I'm interested in. Like you said, the fuck you, the UFC, and the fucking their whole entire plan up because he's the number two or third ring welterweight in line for the title next. That's Nate the thing, Diaz, though. Is that range fighter goes in there and beats his ass, even finishes him. Well, it's all done. It's going to be hard uh, to convince any of us to see him in a title fight after that. I think that's exactly why they did it. Because if for some reason Diaz manages to pull off the unthinkable and beat Kamzat, he's not resigning. He's not coming back. He's still leaving. So then, after Diaz is gone, they can just blame that on. Who the fuck knew Nate Diaz was going to come out and do that and then move right along like it never fucking happened? Nate Diaz won't be there to argue anymore. I still wouldn't. Like, I, 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 I think fans would riot if they put Hamzat in the title if he goes and gets knocked out by Nate, right? He I would mean, have at, to do something point, else with, work his way back up there, even if he's looked good. I kind of feel like at this point, Win or lose, once Nate and Kamzat fight and Nate is gone, the next fight to make for Kamzat isn't the title either way. It's Nick. <laughs> Nick wants Kamaru as his last fight. Nick wants Kamaru as his last fight. Well, it was good enough for Nate. <laughs> yeah, because then if he wins... <laughs> He gets to avenge his brother's loss. If he loses, oh, then, you know, he gets one more shot at the other Diaz that's still in the UFC as Nick's chance to ride off in the Are sunset. Are you saying he should be the Sakuraba of the Diaz brothers? I absolutely <laughs> am saying he should Sakuraba the Diaz brothers. Absolutely. <laughs> Sakuraba the Gracie killer. Hamzat the Diaz killer, you know. I'm saying it. Hey, it it's there. It's there to be made if they just want to draw the line. <laughs> it's there. I, do it. I don't think it has a snowball's chance in hell of happening, but you know, I, I don't think it's gonna play out. But I'm. I like you. where your head. I like where your head's at. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sometimes you got to step back and look at the big picture to see the good ones. <laughs> oh, but um, so. We actually got a weird one. It it was an announcement, then it was a cancellation, then it was an announcement again. Um, originally, right before we get to 279, the week before that, we've got an a, a equally historic card taking place in Paris, the first UFC card in Paris. Well, originally, we were going to see Caitlin Chukagian versus Manon Furo in Paris, which is a fucking spectacular matchup. Well, Chukagian gonna Chukagian, and she fucked around and pulled out. So Jessica Andrade stepped up. Well, 
then Lauren Murphy and Misha Tate happened. And Lauren said, I'm going to be cage side watching Jessica Andrade and Manon Furo next week or fucking whatever in Paris to see who I'm fighting next for that contender status. Uh, well, then we found out this week. <laughs> Guess what? Andrade is fucking hurt. Now Andrade is out. So it gets fucking weirder. Not only did Chukagian fuck around and pull out and then Andrade stepped in and now Andrade has fucked around, got her and had to pull out. But Chukagian is back in the original booking. It is now once again, Caitlin Chukagian versus Manon Firo for the fucking UFC Paris card again. What kind what of fuckery fucking is really going on here, right? It's an absolute fucking clown car right there. <laughs> yeah. Just ridiculousness over and over. Yeah. Um, so if you guys need more to watch this weekend, um, there is a one championship card first thing at five o'clock tomorrow morning for those of you who are interested with Marcus Buchecha on there. So hardcores, there are some fucking notable names on there, but the average sitting at home fan is not going to really give too much of a fuck. Um, there also tomorrow evening, though, is the Bellator 283 card, which we'll talk about again in just a little bit here, as well as the LFA 136 card. And the reason I'm specifically calling out the LFA 136 card is because there are a pair, not one, but two notable fighters that folks might just recognize if they tune into that card. There is the brother and the cousin, both nicknamed Du Bronx of one Charles Oliveira making their fights on the LFA card tomorrow night. Both of them not nearly as successful so far as their cousin, but both of them very much like their cousin had a rough start to their fucking careers and are starting to turn turn the tide around, as it were, or turn things over. Uh, I believe his cousin referred to it as uh, and I quote, finally getting my shit together. So um, it's nice to see he is on a seven fight fucking run. I believe his brother's on a five fight run right now. Both of them still have decent records and have decent competition. They're not crushing cans by any stretch of the imagination, but both of the uh, Oliveras will be on the LFA card tomorrow night. If you need a little bit more reason to tune into that. Um, we did find out that Dana himself has said, uh, despite all of the craziness going on, what the UFC itself is looking forward to next is going to be Yair Rodriguez versus Josh Emmett for an interim 145-pound title belt. Um, I, I think it makes the most sense. I don't think either one of them have done enough to solidify themselves as a fight against Volkanovski. And with Volkanovski having hand surgery anyway, let them fucking fight it out. Neither one of those guys came out of their fights worse for wear. They can make that fight pretty fucking quick. Volkanovsky has already said he is absolutely okay with that interim belt because it's just going to be that much bigger when they unify the real one. So go right ahead with it. Let them fucking fight it out. I think it's the right fucking move. Dude, I think it's fucking stupid. The fight I'm okay with. The interim belt thing, no. Because Max has been an active fucking fighter. Guess what? The injuries happen and they definitely happen when you go in your fucking whipping fucking ass and <laughs> give them the time. Don't fucking just give them, make those two fight. Winner gets next title shot. 
put it just like that and call it a fucking day. Well, no, that's that's interim title. Essentially, what they're doing, but I I think the reason that they're talking about doing it as an interim status uh, is actually because the other half of the announcement. It's not just that they're doing or that they're targeting, I should say, uh, Yair versus Emma, because there's no pen to paper just yet. This is just plans that Dana's talking about openly as of right now. Um, but the plan as of right now is for Emmett and Yair to sometime later on this year take on the interim 145-pound belt because after Volkanovski has surgery, he seems to think that he's going to have a fairly quick recovery turnaround, but he's not interested in fighting either one of them. What he is more interested in is the tip-off announcement for UFC 280 in Abu Dhabi, October 22nd, officially confirmed now, Charles Dubronx Oliveira versus Islam Makachev for the vacant 155-pound belt. Volkanovsky wants winner. I think, kind of like Galti said, I'm okay with the fight. It's the timing of this that I have an issue with. Uh, I'm okay with the fight itself. I just think that if we're waiting for Volkanovski to heal, and he's going to be healed about the same time that Yair and Emmett finished their bullshit, why are we looking at the winner of the 55-pound belt for Volkanovski when he still doesn't even know who his next challenger is going to be for 45, but they'll be available at the same point. Like I get Volkanovski wants to move up and I, I don't think that he shouldn't be able to, I agree that he should be able to move, but the reason to move, the reason to be a two division champion is to be able to keep both divisions active. If you're literally log jamming 45 to go play at 55, that's no different than exactly what Connor did. And everyone threw a fit. So they stripped him right away. Connor it is a little chance. sucky, but I think he uh, knows something that we don't know yet because of what Volk was saying this week, that maybe sometime around February, maybe March, they're thinking about going back to Australia. And if that was right. the case and him fighting for the lightweight strap in Australia, that would be a huge deal. And then, then he was saying something about early in the summer. Getting the right. fe- he wants to stay active, so he was he wants to go for that lightweight shot. But then, you know, it probably wouldn't be more than a year before we get him fighting. So the, I feel like that's where we would get the interim belt. But I also wouldn't want to see them do that at the end of this year, and then that division still sit around, like you're saying, and then that right. division sit around right. for another six months before we actually get the title yeah. shot after an If you got to logjam the division that you are the actual champion of to go try and take on another division that has no shortage of fucking challengers ready to legitimately go after that belt, so you're going to jump that line and bottleneck your own division at the same time for that shot, I... I like I'm so not like, trying to take away from Volk's run. Yeah, Volk yeah, legitimately I earned the chance. With the time frame but they can get Yair and Emmett November, December here, and then Volk will already be healthy and training again by that point in time. Right. So then give him that February or March, get his ass over to Australia, like he was talking about. They're they're hinting at, and let him defend his belt against the winner of Yair and 
or, or Emmett or whoever wins that and get it over Australia and have him defend the 145 in his homeland. Yeah, that, that to me is the best. And then after he does that, gets that one more title defense, then maybe we're talking next summer, International Fight Week or something. You have him try to go up for the, the 155 strap. Yeah. Make it more fun. I, I'm okay. Look, I'm 100% okay with him wanting to go up and fight lightweight. To be honest, I think he has a damn good shot there. I just but, don't think it's the timing's quite right, right this no, second. No, everything look, else is shaking. I get it. You're out right now for surgery on your hand. Perfectly fine. Acceptable reason to not fight or and hold up a division. Right. Is that enough reason for them to do a fucking interim? No, not for a hand surgery. Um, maybe a rebuilt knee? Yes. But even then, maybe that's where we'll say, sure, go ahead and put a fucking interim in. But because you want to hold up the division to fucking go fight at lightweight, that is no reason for a fucking interim. And to be honest, they should tell you no. Right. I don't give a fuck if it's in February or not. If February is when they're deciding to go to Australia, you defend your fucking title at goddamn featherweight in Australia. You don't get to go up to lightweight and fight in February. Uh, that'll be just as exciting as the lightweight. Like you see in Volk finally getting it in Australia and getting a fight for the title in either facet. Right. Yeah, well, exactly. Just the I think it makes more sense too him defending his belt in his right. home compared to him trying to challenge up for the next one. I mean... No. Look, challenging up for the next one, look, I hate to say it, no offense to our Aussie listeners, but fuck you, Australia. If it comes time for a fucking uh, to be a two-division champ, that shit needs to happen in Vegas, the fight capital of the fucking world, period. <laughs> That's where that should be taking place. But to hold up a division for him to go fucking chase a dream, nah. Nah, dude. You're the champ. Either you vacate and go after that other title, or you work it in around your fucking featherweight schedule. Yep. I'll bring another point up. We were talking about it a little bit ago. Brian Ortega, you know, after this shoulder thing, he's probably going to be out potentially six months a year, right? So if Volk goes that route, the start of the year, go to Australia, defend the 145, you get the winner of Yair and Emmett out the way, then there's no clear person at the top of that division again. So then it opens him up for later next year to then go up to the 155 in the first place. I do think he needs to – the next fight, he needs to defend his belt again. Try to, yep, take advantage of that. Go get that Australian opportunity, and, and then and then move on because it just, yeah, I feel like the timing will be better. The only problem with it, we're going to get Connor come back probably early next year, February, March, and then that might right. shake shit up with the lightweight division and it might make things more. But I still, I think we're all in agreement. Volt needs to keep. Going on his his division, keep the title defenses going up, even though he deserves it already. I'd want to see him go up for the other belt. I want to I want to see you keep defending your don't don't fuck a division up like you guys are saying. I think Connor might actually help this work out for Volkanovski if he does this correctly. So if he does this, if he goes to Australia and defends forty five easily. That will be right around the time, seeing as how Charles and, and Islam are going to be fighting for the belt in October. So come February, both of them will be healed, and Connor will undoubtedly be fucking screaming through a megaphone on Twitter at whoever has the goddamn belt. So 
that gives them all summer to let Connor either get the matchup or talk himself out of it because we know he can. Uh, but while that's happening, Vault can get his 45 title defense in in Australia, put on the performance that I have no doubt he would against either Yair or Josh Emmett, especially, especially at home. So he looks like a goddamn stud and does the exact same thing to Australia that Molly and fucking Patty just did to London. Why we're getting ready to talk about that card again for this weekend. Sell the fuck out of Australia. Let Izzy, let fucking Carlos Olberg finally get his shit together. Let fucking Riddell, let the whole Blood Diamond crew, let all the fucking CKB and fucking off-point MMA crew put on a goddamn show in Australia in February like London has done once potentially twice this year and then when they come back in the fall it's for fucking Volk to challenge whoever holds the belt whether Connor actually pulls it off or not whoever's got that belt come the fall brings it down to Australia for Volk to get a shot at everybody wins it's red like nights for everybody motherfuckers could, could you imagine that just just for the hypothetical right like Volk oh my God. early <laughs> er, early next year Volk goes to Australia, defends his belt against Emmett or Yair, right? And then we get that that matchup. Connor gets the the chance at the lightweight belt again. What if Connor wins it, right? And then what you're right. talking about that fall, that's who Volk's fucking going up a notch. You know damn well Connor would happily go to fucking Australia for it versus Connor McGregor for the ooh. yeah. You know I Connor would smile his way to Australia for like that, that fucking fight. <laughs> Yeah, everything could work out fucking tits up for everyone. Fat checks and fucking lines of blow for everybody in Australia. I mean, I, I mean, uh, allegedly. Uh, what? Um, so that being said, <laughs> um, we did get uh, a little bit more on that uh, 280 card, aside from obviously the fucking Islam versus Char- Chucky Olives fucking matchup is, is huge. Um, but aside from that, they gave us a little bit more. Uh, we also got Benil Dariush versus Matthias Gamrot. That's going to be a great fucking fight. Kind of fucking Benil on there, but, you know, it is what it is at this point. Um, Marina Rodriguez versus Amanda Limos, who we just saw beat the shit out of the Karate Karen, so she's getting a quick turnaround going to Abu Dhabi. Um, Piotr Jan versus Sean O'Malley. Pen to paper is happening in Abu Dhabi this October. And the other one, the biggest, the other big announcement, I should say, not biggest, the other big announcement, um, Aljamain Sterling versus TJ Dillashaw as the co-main event for the 135-pound belt. (sighs) Abu Dhabi is officially fucking stacked and they said today that there are still a couple more they are waiting for pen to get put to paper on so they're not done yet like we were talking about earlier the check has very abundantly cleared from the emirates this week because all of the ufc 280 announcements came shaking down the fucking pipeline i got i got one more i could see us hearing about maybe even this weekend before everything's all said and done Dustin and uh, Chandler. I wouldn't be surprised if they threw that on there too. I mean, maybe not just because they may. I don't know if Dustin would want to go to Abu Dhabi again, but 
I yeah, I, I don't know. I, well, that and they got they still got five more fucking pay per views for the rest of the year. They got to fill out or six more pay per views. Yeah. So, but I mean, like we other about really besides Abu Dhabi and fucking they're, they're, fulfilling, and they're fulfilling their uh, their their counterparts. Their, their their money is being well spent. Yeah, no shit. Um, couple more quick ones here to run down. Um, the first one, we got official confirmation today that Miles Johns has officially served most of. Now that we can talk about his official six month suspension and public warning from USADA because the fucking idiot did not file for a therapeutic use exemption for his Adderall. Yet another fucking fighter who has been in the UFC more than long enough to know that USADA bans Adderall with the exception of a therapeutic use exemption from your fucking doctor. Much like Kevin Lee. Miles John said he was just being too fucking lazy and didn't fill out the form knowing damn well he should have. And so now he's serving a six month suspension as a result of it. Fucking idiots. Fucking idiots. Ugh, I've said it before. I'll say it again. Born retarded. Can't fix it. Right. <laughs> so last ones I want to cruise through here real quick. Um, the first one, we got word that as of the end of next week, if you have not locked in your ESPN Plus contract and that is something you are interested in doing, you better count your fucking pennies this week because as of August 1st, ESPN Plus is officially getting raised from $6.99 a month to $9.99 a month. And they are expecting the price of pay-per-views to get raised once again before the end of the year. Ironically enough, though, if you choose the ESPN Plus, Hulu, and Disney bundle, no fucking price change whatsoever. So, you know, take your logic and throw it right out the fucking window. Um, but last one I want to go over here real quick. Um, kind of tying into what we talked about earlier. When we've got issues multiple week after week after week where they're giving out more than a quarter million dollars in fucking bonus money every week repeatedly and then saying they can't afford to give you know the whole blankets fighter pay a raise we got a story this week talking about how after the first time daniel cormier and john jones had a fight which clearly didn't go daniel cormier's way so he didn't even get his fucking win money he got home and one of the only things that helped him keep going was the $1 million bonus check that Dana White sent directly to his house. This is what, 2015? 16-ish? The first time they fought? Long before the UFC was publicly worth $5 billion fucking dollars, they were still able to cut Daniel Cormier a $1 million bonus check despite losing his fight. I generally don't like to harp on fighter pay too much. I, I understand it's a business and they're going to run it how they're going to run it. They're clearly still successful, so they're going to do it how they're going to do it. But we get multiple fucking instances like 
quarter million dollar in bonuses just this week that they announced. And then we find out that it is not uncommon, apparently, for them to give multi-million dollar undisclosed bonuses to fighters who lose their matches. The reason that they don't want to raise the average level of fighter pay starts to become a little more transparently fucking clear, even if the mainstream, quote unquote, MMA journalists don't want to fucking talk about things like that. Yeah, absolutely wild. They need to do something about that quick, fast, and in a hurry. It's bad when we still have every here and again, we talk about UFC fighters that are living out of their cars or living out of the gyms that they're fucking training in just so that way they can jobs while they train. Yeah. Yeah. Something needs to change. Even your entry level fighters need to have enough to where that pays their bills to train and still live off of until their next fight. I think the best way that I've seen it put is it doesn't matter if you ride the bench or you are a fucking starter first string. If you get signed to the NFL, you don't have to wait fucking tables anymore in the off season. You make enough of a wage in as short as your fucking season is in the NFL, 16 fucking games add in fucking camps. You're still working less than half the fucking year but you don't have to work a second fucking job because you're in the big leagues. You might not be making 35 fucking million a year, but you ain't got a bus fucking table so your lights don't get shut off to be able to say you're in the NFL. UFC fighters don't have that same fucking excuse, and they're supposed to be the upper fucking echelon of combat sports. Makes you fucking think a little bit. So... Fuck Dana White, aside from that. Uh, anything else in the news that you boys saw this week that I didn't get a hold of? <laughs> I got one little piece, uh, not MMA news, boxing news. Uh, Ryan Garcia last weekend got that round six knockout over yeah. Javier Fortuna and then calls out Gervonta Tank Davis. Something for me to finally get motherfucking excited about. I hope they get it done. I would love to see Tank Davis and Ryan Garcia at the end of this year. Two big up-and-coming young guys in the boxing world. It'd be something to finally be excited about with boxing. I miss being excited about boxing. I agree. I agree. The problem for me with that is if you go back, even if just for fucking casual sake, if you just go back and watch the highlights from that fucking fight, don't even watch the whole thing. The one time in six rounds that Fortuna actually landed a semi-clean shot on Garcia and you saw him like, whoa, and then like, and then come back too, was the only real good shot he landed in six fucking rounds. Whereas there were at least two different times during that fight, because I watched that goddamn fight, where Garcia without doing anything spectacular, just lands a clean one-two and almost delayed reaction fucking wobbled Fortuna. Not to mention the drop down in was around four where he punched him and stepped back and then Fortuna fell, but immediately bounced back up like the fucking Scarecrow in the Wizard of Oz. You know what's wild is there is a ton of videos out there with fucking Ryan Garcia and his fucking absolute godlike hand speed. Like, there is not, like, I don't think there's a boxer right now that has better hand speed than him. But when you watch him fight, where's his fucking hand speed? You don't see it. it. 
you don't see it. Like, cause you yeah. can sit there and watch him hitting bags or just fucking letting loose with a bunch of uppercuts and <laughs> training, but that never comes into play in any of his fights. He's a fucking yeah. fantastic fighter, but I think a lot of him is actually hype trained. I'm, I'm not a hundred percent sold on him yet purely because of that. I agree. Well, I feel yeah. that way kind of about Tank, too. That's why I kind of, like, like I, I said, that's why say, I feel like it's the, something. The same, yeah, no, I was just going to say the same applies like, uh, across the board as well. Devin, Devin Haney, and I, I want to see all those young guys that are, you know, being talked about in boxing kind of start getting after each other now. They, well, they've all and got I think, decent records. And, yeah, yeah, I was going to say, I think with, with excited with, about, see which one of them yeah, is with, actually. With Tank and Garcia here, you've got a, a, a stylistic matchup which you don't have in boxing that often. And it's funny that it takes the little guys to bring that back out. But Davis is such a fucking power puncher. He's such a headhunter. He doesn't give a fuck. He will stand in the pocket with his fucking gloves at his waist and stare you in the fucking eyes. Because when you go to throw, he's already got one coming at you. He's watching for you to flinch. He wants to hit you in the face. He don't give a fuck about combos. He don't give a shit about the sweet science. He wants to fucking school you in the ring. And then you've got Garcia. Who's the other way around? He doesn't have the fucking power. He can't play that game, but he's flashy and he's fast. So he's going to throw a quick one, two, and he's going to clean a body shot on your fucking rib cage as he steps off and then dances in the fucking ring. And when you put those two together, that's what makes boxing exciting again, in my opinion. Probably yeah, we're not going to see it because of that, but Ryan Garcia <laughs> made the call out. Right. And then I think yeah. it, it was just yesterday, Tank Davis, he just tweeted something. He was like, see y'all at the end of the year. So I'm yeah, like, see you at the end of the year. Yeah. Come on, let's go. Just make the announcement. It, yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a little bring thing. Yeah, you want to bring some lifeblood back into boxing? boxing? <laughs> That's a damn way to do it for fucking sure. Yeah, I agree. I absolutely agree. Yeah, I had to bring that up. I'm just doing something to finally be excited about with the boxing end of it. Absolutely. I completely understand. Um, that being said, though, uh, this is going to be the point that unfortunately our audio listeners will be a bit delayed in receiving. Those of you watching on YouTube.com slash I'm no Joe will be aware, though, based on the raucous gif that has run across the screen that this, ladies and gentlemen, is the point where we take our friendly, upbeat, lighthearted show and bring it down a little bit. We take a little bit of that lighthearted aspect and we make it fucking competitive. This, boys and girls, is the pit. So for those of you who are not familiar, this is the point where we take the card we have at hand, our this situation being UFC London 2. Not only just two, but two in the same goddamn summer. And we put a little bit of a game show spin to it here. So... This particular evening, uh, we are coming back in with the brother Slowbake, the returning champion this week. So, sir, we are going to start things off with you. Round one, as we do around here, we are <laughs> curious, sir. The co-main event this weekend features a substitution, unfortunately, but still an interesting match nonetheless. Unfortunately, Darren Till is not able to make it. Luckily, we did get a step-up substitution in the form of one Chris Action Man Curtis taking on Jack the Joker Hermanson. So I ask you, sir, for our opening round one question, how do you see this co-main event playing out? 
All right. Well, I mean, it's sad news to hear. We were going to get there until the corner, Chris Curtis, and then just heard today. He, he's backing out of it. I did like the reasoning, right? It was about respect. He thought it'd be disrespectful after pulling from the fight and then being in the corner. I did appreciate that. Definitely depressing not getting to see Darren Till. Hopefully we can see him back soon. I like Chris Curtis, though. In his last fight against Rodolfo Vieira, stuffing 20 fucking takedowns. I know this is uh, four weeks, you know. It's been four weeks since that fight. I feel like four weeks is enough to at least recover, right, to be able to stuff a few more takedowns. Uh, Jack didn't look that great against Sean Strickland. Sean Strickland was able to keep it up on the feet. Jack wasn't able to get him down on the ground. I feel like that's Jack Kermanson's strongest points. I actually feel like Chris Curtis has a real chance at this. Uh, he, he, he stuffs those takedowns again, keeps it standing. I don't see a finish, but I see another situation like the Rodolfo Vieira fight. And even if you're coming off of that short notice, man, this is a serious chance for Chris Curtis to like jump himself up in the rankings and finally get himself, you know, like people really talking about. I've liked Chris Curtis. He is the action man. He, I thought he was good before his days in the UFC. It's great to see him get this fucking opportunity. So I think it's going to be a good fight. Jagger Manson's probably going to be a little better, in my opinion, than that Sean Strickland fight. I feel like it'll be a good standing match good striking match with Chris Curtis who's just going to come out in the end he's he's got the power he's not going to get taken down so I feel like he's going to win by decision I can definitely see that yeah I could with those two I can definitely see the potential for them to fucking grind it out to a decision for sure so golf tee that'll bring it back over to you sir how do you see our now replacement co-main event shaking loose on this second UFC London fight night card Start with I'm bummed about the replacement aspect of this because, to be honest, I would much rather see Darren Tell in there, but yeah, it is what it is. Uh, hats off to fucking Chris Curtis for taking it, coming off a good solid win, doing great fucking work last month in June. But the idea of company men, especially at this level where you're sitting ranked in the top 10 going after another top 10 guy, that's a bad fucking idea. I have nothing wrong with somebody wanting to do that, but I think they got the wrong man for the fucking job. And it's not that Chris Curtis can't do it, but four weeks, five weeks out, whatever the fuck he is at right now. To be honest, at this high of a level, to get back into fight shape in four weeks after just finishing a fight, that's pretty goddamn tough to get it back to your peak. And with the fucking Joker across there, you have to give a lot of fucking respect to the Joker because he's a fucking tough cookie. There's a reason why he's been sitting in the top 10 for some goddamn month. The only people he's fighting are fucking killers. It's fucking, there's a reason why if you look at his last like five fights, it's win, loss, win, loss, win, loss. He's fighting absolute killers at the top of the fucking division. And unfortunately, some of those guys that are fucking beating him, those are the top of the fucking division for a reason. And right now he's coming off a loss. So he's doing another win. If you look at his last fucking five, six fights in a row. And Chris Curtis, who's coming off of four weeks, five weeks removed from a fucking his last bout, I don't think he's going to be in the proper shape he needs to be to put up with a Jack Hermanson and, and stuff 20 takedowns. I just don't think it's going to happen. That's not enough time to prepare for the fucking Joker. It's really not. And don't get me wrong. Chris Curtis can do it. We know he can stuff takedowns. We've seen it. 
But is he going to be able to do it consistently as he did in his last fight? I doubt it. He did. He does have a little bit of foreknowledge too, though. I mean, he was in the corner for Sean Strickland before, and he like. He, right. <laughs> no, I, I, I do absolutely agree with Slobe. I, I like Chris Curtis. Um, a little fact that I learned this week that I did not previously knew about him. I, I've been a fan of his for a while now, but I learned this week Chris Curtis actually dropped out of law school to compete as a professional mixed martial artist was doing just fine, was well on his way to becoming a fucking lawyer and decided, you know what? I'd rather punch a motherfucker in the face for a paycheck than wear a fucking suit and walk around a courtroom. Respect. He gets my respect because he's not chasing fucking ambulances, dude. Yeah, the amount of intelligent people we have seen via fucking nuclear physicists literally and fucking mathematicians of theoretical fucking physics like we have seen some genuinely fucking smart individuals choose the route of violence over the route of academia and chris curtis i heard on media day this week he was talking about he still drives around a 2006 fucking shitty car you know like I want to see the success for the guy. Not not only do I like him as a fighter, I think he's actually a little more talented than Sean Strickland. And Sean Strickland just beat Jack. I I feel like like Golfkey said, that's the only thing that maybe is against him is the short notice. But he's just shown us that he's so damn good at stuff in the takedowns. I feel like he, a month is more than fine enough. Uh, well, I can agree just with that. Have to strengthen the legs, but with the exception of. Rodolfo Vieira, despite his accolades outside of the UFC, does not boast the same level of credentials inside the octagon. Jack Hermanson, although also extremely justifiably credentialed outside the octagon, also has shown inside the octagon he is a very dangerous individual, both on the ground, on the feet. And like Galt, he said, he generally, when he hits these bumps, it's up, down, up, down, and he's coming off a down. I, I think that Strickland fight was a bad run for him. I feel like he's going to have that chip on his shoulder here. I like Chris Curtis, but I feel like after just stopping 20-something fucking takedowns from Vieira just a couple weeks ago, the takedowns that Hermanson is going to put on him, one, are not going to be the same style or efforted takedowns, but two, if he would have gotten out of that Vieira fight in a round one knockout, I would say he would be ready to come in and give Hermanson a good run for his fucking money and be contested. The fact that it was such a grinding fucking war and he had to stop 20 some odd takedowns, even on four weeks, that's a lot of fucking drain on the system. And then you've got a guy who I guarantee fucking to you is going to give you every bit of what Rodolfo Vieira gave you plus some on just, a you know, not even a half camp turnaround. I don't know, man. I like Chris Curtis, but I also know what Hermanson is capable of. I, I wish Chris Curtis the best, but in, in this situation, I got to give points here to Golfty. I, I think Hermanson is due one, and I think he is just the combination of so fucking solid and so fucking soon after that Vieira fight. Uh, I, this is one of those situations I would be happy to be wrong, but based <laughs> on what we have seen, I'm inclined to think the Joker is going to make this a hard night for Chris Curtis. Yeah. I, so, 
I don't even like betting against either one of them because I like both of them. Both yeah, of that's them. what I'm saying. Like, I'm a fan of both of these guys, so it's a fucking fight. I'm interested in either way, but. And to be honest, I it's a great fucking replacement as far as not having Darren Taylor. Yeah. Curtis is a great replacement for the fight, and I'm glad they managed to pull that together, but. I, yeah, as much as, as far I as replacements give, go, it's it's solid as fuck. Yeah, like I want to give Chris Curtis the nod after what he did here, but Pierre's also not the same wrestler that Hermanson is. Hermanson's a much better right. fucking wrestler. So there is that, and well, you know, some weird fucking in and out MMA math that goes in there too. Right. It makes me kind of think otherwise. <laughs> so, you know. Right. So that being said, right two as we like to do around here uh golf tea you will take this one first uh the marquee the reason for the season the namesake for us coming back to london a second time tom aspinall personally told dana white after the first london card when dana white said we've got to get you to vegas you're going to crush these crowds tom aspinall said to dana white's face no i don't want to go to vegas bring me back here, I will get you Vegas crowds in London. There is a legitimate chance that single conversation is the reason we are talking about the card we are talking about right now. The question comes in now, can he back up what he's talked up? So, Golf T, I go to you first. Tommy Aspinall, Tommy Aspinall, can he get it done? against the razor blade dude this this is a tough one for me to call only for this reason tom has shown that he has greatness in him he does not only finish fights with knockouts and i mean putting people into the fucking upper upper deck knockouts but he's also finished fights with fucking submissions now, knowing Curtis Blades is a goddamn wrestling fucking god in this fucking division. Guaranteed, Aspinall ends up on his ass at least once or twice. But Curtis Blades has to worry about the submission game because it's obviously there. Albeit, we Aspinall would much rather just fucking clean your clock and send you off to the fucking ghost realm. He does have the capability of finishing people in the submission realm. So we know there's a legitimate chance there. But do I think he's going to be able to stop Curtis Blades' fucking wrestling? Dude, that's a tough fucking call. But if he's watched any tape, he knows. You can hit that motherfucker with an uppercut coming in, a la Derek Luce, and that dude will fucking sleep. It's a tough fucking call to say that Tom makes an easy walk of this. Because I don't think it's going to be easy in any aspect of the fucking word. To be honest, I think Curtis Blade gets it done because his wrestling is so goddamn good. And albeit he, Aspinall did fight Sergey Spigov, who has great fucking wrestling as well. That's fucking apples and oranges when you're comparing those two fucking wrestling between him and Blades. So I think we're going to see a lot more of Aspinall on his back. And we're going to finally see what Aspinall is actually made of when it comes to the fucking wrestling department. And as much as I hate to say it, generally those fucking guys from goddamn England, they can't wrestle to save their fucking ass. So I think this is where we see Curtis Blades come in, fucking do Curtis Blades things, take him fucking down, and finish him off on the ground with some ground pump. 
possibly even a submission. But I'm more apt to see the ground and pound or just ride him out like a fucking wet blanket, one of the two. No, I, I will absolutely agree with you on one thing. Um, the, the As strange of a statement as it is to make, the best English wrestler that's going to be on this card, but I, I would say the best English wrestler in the UFC, for my money, is going to be on this card. And he's not on the main card. <laughs> he's not in this fight. He's not even on the main card. So it ain't Tommy Aspinall. I, I think it's a good fight, but he definitely ain't the best English wrestler. So he's got his work cut out for him. That's for damn sure. So that brings us over to the other side of the house here. We have got two gigantic motherfuckers getting ready to crack down in UFC London. So how do you, sir, think this one shakes loose in our main event, Brother Slovak? All right. Well, I remember when you first asked the question, you were kind of asking, how do we see Tom Aspinall, you know, live up to the words, right? Like, keep this London fucking vibe going. I I feel like he's, you guys are kind of right. He's in between on his wrestling game, but he's got a couple great submissions on I mean, his last fight, getting the first round sub against Volkov. And he's also got a submission against Arvlowski. I mean, he's got some decent work with the submission. So I feel like Curtis is going to try to get it to the ground. That's his game. That's how he's always. I feel like this will grind out a little bit, maybe get into the third round or something like that. And then maybe we'll see Aspinall surprises again. That's how we're going to keep it, right? Keep that London fight. That's how he's going to live up, like you asked the first question. I feel like that's what we're going to see. I love me some Tommy Aspinall. I love the chant. I love every aspect of it. I think the vibe of the crowd is going to be fantastic. The fight itself is going to be good. It's going to be back and forth. They're going to get a little fucking bloody. And I feel like once Curtis keeps getting it to the ground, Tom's going to do what he's done to some really fucking good guys in Arvlowski and Volkov and get a crazy-ass submission. Keep that momentum going. Give the UFC another fucking reason to keep coming back to London. Just like he fucking said, instead of trying to ship him back off to Vegas. I feel like that's what we're going to see. I mean, Curtis Blades, don't get me wrong, is great, especially great wrestling. But like you also said, we're seeing he's got kind of a weak chin. And I just, it's not that I don't like him. I do. I like him as a fighter. I just don't see that potential like I see with Tom Aspinall. This dude, it's, funny. it's like Tai Tui so I only see this guy going fucking up in this heavyweight division. So I'm excited. Yeah, no, I, I, I completely agree. I completely agree. Uh, as, as a fellow born and raised Chicagoan, I, I kind of have to have a little bit of fucking Curtis Blades rooting for him in the back of my heart, regardless of how I actually want to fucking play it out. So I got to give him a little bit of benefit of the doubt. But you also have to take into consideration that Seven fights into his career, Tom Aspinall still has not fought one single three-round fight's worth of time yet. He has only had one fight go past the first round, and that was the, the gentleman that was on our poor opening gift, Mr. Arlovsky, and that didn't fare well for him once he got outside of that first round, even though he did make it that far. Um, and and I, I will say, Curtis Blades is undeniably one of the greatest wrestlers in the UFC. Hands down, no argument for me whatsoever. 
the issue that I have with Curtis Blades, though, is that at this point in his career, knowing who he's up against and what he has to do to really get himself into that title conversation, he's almost become your mom telling you, we already have Corey Anderson at home. Overtime! We get it. You can fucking chain wrestle. But much like a Corey Anderson, that chin gets suspect because you don't fucking guard it when you shoot in a lot of the times. And much like Francis Ngannou found twice and Derek Lewis found once, Curtis Blade's chin is very touchable. As well as having a decent ground game, Tommy Aspinall, Tommy Aspinall has a damn good fucking shot on him as well. So not only can he hang, I feel, with the wrestling that Curtis is going to throw at him, I feel like he's smart enough to have seen the tapes and watched that glaring opening that Curtis always presents when he drops his fucking head and shoots in for that fucking power blast. Uh, I like Curtis. I got nothing against him. I definitely don't want to see anything bad happen to him. But in this situation, uh, I got to give point for round two here to, to our brother Slowbake. I, I think Tommy Aspinall has just enough combination of skill and motivation to get him through the danger that, that Curtis Blades is going to present to him. And this is another one where I would also be very happy to be wrong in this prediction, but based off of what we have seen, not just what I feel, this seems to be the right call to me. So round two, we give to slow bake here. And I'm looking forward to listening to it, man. Tommy right. <laughs> right? Yeah, that chant, you know that fucking building is going to be rocking with it's that chant. It's a lot better too. than the old Patty the Batty. Right? Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that, that fucking O2 Arena is going to be popping Saturday. <laughs> so, uh, bringing it back around to round three here. Uh, same theme, different phrasing, though. Um, kind of looking for a new title if you will of this thing um we're gonna call this round what the fuck am i watching um this would be the one fight that every seeming mma journalist just will not stop fucking talking about and it doesn't fucking matter because it's not going to be nearly as exciting as they are all trying to make it out to be the overhyped fight if you will so for this one we come back across to our returning champion here. Which fight on this card is the one that people just won't shut the fuck up about? And it's going to be a waste of time if you actually tune in for it. Uh, I feel like this one kind of answers itself. Even though I like Beast and Patty Pimlet, this is the most overhyped fucking fight on this entire card. Patty Pimlet versus the Twerk Man. That's, I mean, that's what we're getting. We're either going to get Patty Pimblett is going to get beaten one way or another, or you get a, a mixed guy twerking and, uh, you know, London going up in flames, or we're going to see Patty Pimblett get a half ass victory over another. I, I don't know about middle of the pack. It's probably the toughest fight he has, he has had to date. Jordan Levitt's pretty good in, in his grappling and everything, but. It's still nothing special. It's not going to get him anywhere. He's, he, he, overall, even if I like the guy, I kind of feel like he's the English version of Conor McGregor. He's a giant hype train, and he's the biggest hype train in the UFC, and he's damn sure overhyped. I haven't seen anything from his previous fights, let alone the guys he's fought, that's shown us that 
he's going to ever be a champion in the UFC. Or I don't even necessarily think this guy can hold up in top rank. He's in the lightweight division, for fuck's sake. Do we think – you think about everybody in the top 15 right now. Do we think he can beat anybody in the top 15? Armand Sarukian, Matush Gamrop, Benil Darius. No, no, this guy – this guy, I don't. He's not going anywhere. It is the fucking most overhyped fight, and I mean that's how they're hyping it up. A, a dude that likes to twerk, and a half-ass skilled guy that's just got a loud mouth like Conor McGregor and just doesn't doesn't show up like Conor did. Right? There was a reason Conor's star kept growing because he backed the fucking talk up and. Patty hasn't shown us anything to back it up yet. Even if he knocks out Jordan Levitt, what's that showing? It's not backing up any of his talk. It's it's all overhyped. It might be cool to see the finish if Patty gets a first round finish and backs up the talk a little bit, but it's still nothing, nothing, nothing doing here. All, all overhyped. I don't see any other fight on this card. It's more overhyped than this one. This might be the most overhyped fight of the whole fucking year. <laughs> No, I, I absolutely am inclined to agree. Um, normally, saying the phrase "the baddie versus the monkey king," you would be doing one of those weird fucking porn searches on the interweb. But this is actually the fucking people's co-main event for the fucking London card. So here we are. But you know, <laughs> that being said, uh, Golfy, that'll bring us back over to you. Uh, would you pick? Uh, the what the fuck am I watching fight for your side, sir? Generally, I would agree with that statement of Paddy Pimblett and Jordan Levitt. However, that fight's not actually overhyped. The only thing that's overhyped about that is whether we're going to see a teabag a la Modern Warfare 2 style <laughs> or fucking twerking from somebody who should not be fucking twerking. That is the only thing that's overhyped about it. The fight itself is, well... It's a couple of up-and-comers trying to see what the fuck they're going to do. And God knows nobody wants to see fucking Jordan Levitt jumping fucking to his coach's arms or twerk. And nobody really wants to see Patty Pimblett teabag anybody other than those people that live in England. Oh, the one I will say is overhyped and getting way more fucking attention that is undue because of the fight is actually coming straight out of Patty's gym. Meatball Molly McCann and fucking Hannah Goldie. There's been more coverage on that fight that is undue because both of those are fucking goddamn soup cans to me. Absolute soup cans. Shouldn't be being covered the way it is, but it's being covered because of Patty Pimblett. So we're getting way more coverage on this, and the fight still doesn't mean dick between the two of them. Absolute shit show. Yeah, no, I, I am absolutely inclined to agree. Uh, I understand that the Scousers are bringing the entertainment and the eyeballs to the card, but that's also because in both of these situations, the Scousers are fighting fucking soup cans comparatively. Um, I, I will say Jordan Levitt might be genuinely the toughest fight that Patty has ever had. That being said, Jordan Levitt isn't that much of a fucking test. Uh, Hannah Goldie, on the other hand, I don't understand how she got a UFC contract to begin with. She's been wearing that fucking Campbell soup label since back in the goddamn day. She never proved herself to be UFC caliber to begin with and has proved that every opportunity she's had to fail her way up along the fucking journey. 
Um, so I, I absolutely agree on both situations here. I, I think they're both entertaining, but I think both of the fucking Londoners on this card are absolutely fucking overhyped. Um, this situation, though, I, I do agree more with Golf Tee on this one, though. Patty is getting a lot of hype, but that is stylistically and, and level-wise a little more even. This, on the other hand, is quite literally the UFC throwing an empty Pepsi can to fucking Molly to crush and look like a fucking stud after the elbow she left out with last time. So I am giving the point for round three here to, to Golf Tee for the Molly call. I don't want to take anything against Molly's last win, but that... Even a blind squirrel finds a nut once in a while. Yeah, if you go back and rewatch that fight, it, I like to I like to rephrase it as uh, they gave her the cheerleader effect in that fight. When you're zoomed in on just the hottie, damn, does she look good? But when you pull back a little bit and you look at the whole picture, sometimes the hotness fades the fuck away. Molly's elbow is kind of like that. It was great in the moment. If you're only looking at the highlight of the elbow, if you back up to the entirety of the fight, you're like, why was that impressive? So yeah. I, I agree. I agree. That's a that's a two a ten and a ten at two situation. Right? Yeah, no <laughs> shit. Um, but with things being how they were and how they are around here. Uh, round four, we flip that coin onto its fucking head. So round four, we are calling, hey, Mo, get in here! Uh, which fight is no one talking about that is just going to absolutely blow these British turnstile doors completely off the fucking arena? Balti, you get this one first, sir. Which one is no one talking about and everyone fucking should be? Dude. The biggest missed opportunity for everyone to talk about the fucking Bear Jew and Vulcan Ozdemir. Why the fuck are we not getting more coverage on that? And why is that not in at least the fucking, at a bare minimum, the goddamn people's co main event? To be honest, I think this is a better fight than Jack Hermanson and Chris Curtis. There's a lot of fucking shit that can go on there. We know the Bear Jew is willing to take some punches just so he can sub somebody. And Bulk Nozdemir is more than willing to dish those motherfuckers out. This has a lot of fucking just potential for fireworks that I don't think the co-main event has right now. I mean, don't get me wrong. The co-main event has them, but not to this extent for me. Like, what's going on here? It's not being talked about because Why? It's another UK fucking fighter versus a guy out of Switzerland. There should be a lot more fucking hype on this fight than what there is, especially being as they're both top 10 ranked fucking fighters in that goddamn division. What the fuck are we looking at when we're looking at these guys that are fucking light heavyweights and they're not getting this kind of attention where they should be? Instead, we get a people's co-main event on Patty Pimblett and Jordan Levin. Get fucked. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree. The fact that Paul Krieg and Vulcan Ozdemir are ranked exactly the same as the co-main event, but they're the card opener. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm hard-pressed to decide whether that's an insult to those guys or it's a statement of faith in how great they assume this fight is going to be that it's going to lock people in to the London card. So either way, I agree. It's not getting nearly enough fucking talk. 
that being said, that'll bring us back over to the other side of the house here. So, Brother Slowbake, of all these crazy fucking matchups we have got in here on this London card, which one of these are you absolutely going to lose your fucking voice screaming for everybody to get the fuck in there and pay attention? All right. And for me, and I'm, I'm throwing this out there just because I'm choosing this as my fight of the night. It's the fight I'm the most excited to see. And what I think we might wind up seeing is the best fucking fight, the best turnaround. Nikita Krylov versus Alexander Gustafson. I am excited to see Gus back. It's been, what, almost two years since his last fight. Uh, he tried that little stint of going up to heavyweight, got subbed by Fabricio Verdun. Um, I'm excited to see him get back to his normal weight, get back to the light heavyweight and, uh, see what he's got. I mean, pre-love, he, he had a tough loss to who golfed. He just mentioned Paul Craig, uh, earlier on this year, but pre-love is no, no pushover. So if Gustafson has a really good, you know, war. And that's how I feel, feel like this might go. We might get a war of a fight. If we see these two keep standing, and they're both tough sons of bitches. And if we can see at the, the kind of Alexander Gustafson we saw against Glover Teixeira, this will be an incredible fight. I don't think it's been talked about a lot other than that fact. Anybody that likes Alexander Gustafson's talked about the fact that he's finally coming back. But these are two really, really damn good. Like it's not necessarily like golf. He said the the ranking matchup that Oz Demir and Paul Craig is. I don't. It doesn't have that same complication towards the rankings or where the guys are going to go after the fact. But this could be a all out fucking slugfest and an absolute war. I'm excited to fucking see Alexander Gustafson back. Hope he gets the fucking win. Yeah. No, I, I agree on, on both points here. You, you can't, if you're a fan of MMA for more than the last three days, you almost have to be excited about a Paul Craig fight, no matter who the fuck is on the other side of the fucking cage from him. Um, but the fact that seemingly fucking no one in the MMA journalism world has made, in my opinion, at least a justifiably large enough stink about the fact that the fucking Mahler is coming back to 205 and has spent the better part of this summer training with arguably the best fucking people he possibly could have to make that return to 205. And again, Nikhil Krylov is no fucking slouch. It's not like the Bear Jew gave him one-way fucking traffic. That was a hard fucking fought match as well. I have long been a fucking big fan of Nikita Krylov. But Gus coming back to 205 in what could be his resurgence in light heavyweight now, that's... That's my fucking oh shit. Pay attention as well. I, I'm I'm right there with you. So I, we I have anxiety not talked about I, enough. I've got to give <laughs> points round four here to uh the brother slow bake. Undeniably, that is that is such a fucking spectacular matchup. I, I mean, yeah, I labeled it down. I feel like it's the fight of the night, and, and I know if you pay attention to mine and Vinny's fucking little podcast. We've been doing that little bet on blood, which whatever yeah. fight we think is going to wind up being the bloodiest. I, I'm taking this one. I think this is going to be the bloodiest and most exciting fight, man. I think it's a safe fucking call for it. This is this has got <laughs> potential fight of the night all over it, in my opinion. So, 
if you've been keeping up and paying attention and you can maths, you will know that means we are now tied two to two, bringing us to the sudden death winner take all round here. And as we do around here, the sudden death winner take all round has nothing to do with the card that we are here talking about. So in the theme that folks may have been pulling along with, we're going to stay kind of in that same vein. But before we get there, we have a champion's prerogative to decide here. Brother Slobig, you are the returning champion, so you get to decide, are you answering the question first or are you giving Golf Tee the question first? I'm going to go with last week. Last week was very nice getting that uh, second answer, so I'm going I'm to make Golf Tee go ahead and answer first. Let's see how this All right. goes. <laughs> All right, so Golf Tee, this will have you opening our final round here. As we've been talking about a little bit over the course of this summer, the UFC is just stacking pay-per-views out. And it, the news segment today was no fucking example of anything other than that exact fact. 279 and 280 just got loaded this week. So we know Abu Dhabi is pretty much locked up. We know that fucking 279 in Vegas is pretty much locked up. We're running out of pay-per-view spots here, but we've still got just a couple. And the one that I personally am most intrigued in, the most interested in, is our final pay-per-view headline of 2022. The last December UFC pay-per-view now needs a headliner. And we know it's not going to be Conor McGregor. We know it's not going to be Francis Ngannou. But there's a lot of options still on the table. And with all the crazy announcements we got today, my question for you, gentlemen, who the fuck headlines our December pay-per-view now? All my fun ones got shot down in the last couple of weeks. So I'm just, this is going to you gentlemen now. So I'll, I'll give you a minute to look here. But yeah, my, my question for round five, how do we end the year with the typical UFC pay-per-view bang that we have all come to know and expect? I'm glad I made golf to answer first. <laughs> it, that's legitimately a fucking rough question with what's yeah. on the table right now. We don't have many championships available for the rest of the year. That's where it's really tough. So, I mean, it's... Yeah. All the fun shit is locked up. So, it's legitimately going to be a challenge, in my opinion, here. Well, let's see, because it... Let's, okay, if we're going to look for a champion to be on there, you've got Davidson Figueredo already booked up. Got Aljo's booked up. Volka Volkanovsky's on the sideline, right? You got nobody at fucking lightweight, even though they're going to search that shit out. And they're not going to be ready for fucking December. No. Kamaru's sitting there. Israel could possibly, but I doubt it. My bet, though, that I think they're going to do is we're going to see Yuri Prohachka fucking defending his title and I think they're going to give him champion's prerogative and let him give Glover to share that fucking rematch. I think that's what we see in fucking December. Because I think they're going to give him that fucking prerogative to say, you know what? Yeah. If you think you can beat him worse than you beat him once, I'll give it to you. 
I think we see Yuri and fucking Glover in December for a fucking rematch and see if lightning strikes twice and he just runs through fucking Glover to show that he really is that fucking good again. Or if it was just a lightning strike in a bottle for fucking a couple of fights in the UFC. To be honest, after the way he dismantled Glover, I'm pretty sure it's not lightning strike. But I think that might be the fucking fight we see in December. With five months, they have plenty of time for both of them to get full camps in. That, and realistically, there's a good chance that could be Glover's last fight, win or lose. Exactly. So to make it a title fight, I absolutely agree that Glover earned that fucking right. And I tell you what, I'm not the biggest Yuri Prohaska fucking fan, but if he sticks to his goddamn guns and pulled that off, that sure the fuck moved my needle a little bit, in my opinion. Just saying. Good answer, sir. Good answer. So... That brings the ball back over to your court, sir. Uh, Champions Prerogative has given you the second option to answer. So with all the crazy shit we have had dropped on us in the last couple of weeks, all of the announcements we have got coming up for the next couple of weeks, how the fuck do we end our December pay-per-view? What do we get for our headline, sir? Or is yours? All right. The way that I think we're going to go. I was thinking maybe we would see something like, you know, Valentina or something. But she this week said how she wants to stick at 125. She doesn't want to try to go up to 135 and challenge for the Bantamweight title, which kind of sucks because that might have been, you know, Amanda winning next weekend. We were hoping maybe we'd get Valentina and Amanda. I'd like to have said we'd get that at the end of the year. Uh, I like what Golf T said, but I actually think they're going to make that for Madison Square Garden. That's going to be the November headliner with Yuri and Glover. If they're going to do that rematch, that's because of that exact fact, it would be Glover's last fight potentially. And he wanted to do that at MSG anyways. He lives in Connecticut, trains out of Connecticut. And that could also throw Izzy and Pereira on that same card. That's where I feel like that'll go. So end of the year card. We haven't heard it, anything about it yet. Still, they haven't made the match. We've been hearing about it all year, actually, but they haven't made the match of Stipe and John Jones for an interim heavyweight championship. At this point, the fact that they've waited and we're getting things filled up for 279, Abu Dhabi stacked, it looks more like we might get a matchup like, I don't know, a Carla, Sparza, Zhang Wei Li. I feel like they'd get Jiri and Glover more in November. So I, I think Stipe and that John Jones match that we've been hearing about all year, to me, would excite me a little bit more, too, than the Jiri and Glover rematch. Or Jiri, I like Jiri Projak in a sense, but his title defense whether it's against Glover, Jan, or whoever, I'd be a little more excited to finally see John Jones make his appearance at heavyweight. And who better to fight in that division than Steve Ailes? Why we've been hearing about it all year. It'd be a great way to fucking end the year. Make it for an interim if Francis isn't able to come back. Give us that idea of a championship to finish the year off. And with everything else getting filled up, they're just what better fight? I don't, I don't see what better fight we could get. They would actually potentially be all five rounds and knock down, drag out, absolute war to finish the fucking year off. 
I I can absolutely agree that would be a damn good fight. Uh, let me see here. Just one second. Let me check something real fast. So yeah, okay. Um, I was wrong. I I just verified. Uh, John Jones has indeed been tested by USADA twice this year, once in the second quarter of 2022. So within the last what month and a half, John Jones has officially been tested by USADA. Uh, oh. So that is a legitimate possibility. Uh, I didn't realize that he was on the board yet. I knew that Connor still wasn't. So no, yeah. John is John is officially in. And John said he's never left the USADA pool, which I kind of find a little fucking suspect, I, but you know. I, I call bullshit on that as well, but no. Um, so yeah, no, Jones Stipe is absolutely a possibility. Um, I am more inclined to think that John is waiting till the beginning of next year, though. Um, I, I think that's that's definitely a fight the UFC is angling for, but I feel like that's going to be probably early next year, maybe the first pay-per-view of January to kick off the 2023 pay-per-view season, something like that. Uh, I, I think realistically, if you look at the timing, if you look at the, the fucking validity in the division, I think that fucking Yuri Prohaska versus Glover Tejera for that fucking December pay-per-view might just be fucking perfect because win, lose, or draw, there's a real chance that that's the time that Glover hangs him up, whether he's got that belt on his fucking waist or not. He's already said he only has two more in him, and that was before the fucking last year he fight. Technically speaking, he said he's got one more left in the bank, and this could very well be that fight, and that would make me absolutely fucking giddy. I, I am so fucking happy that they gave him the first title fight. I think it would absolutely be the best move the UFC has ever fucking made to let him fucking walk out with a second fucking title with a rematch on that fucking title fight, regardless of how the first one ended. Um. I do agree. Jones Stipe is potentially going to be a great fucking fight, but I think that fucking Yuri versus Glover is just the the fucking bee's knees. That's the fucking that's the one, man. That that would make that would be my Christmas present. That would make my fucking December for me, regardless of how it turns out. Having that foot, having that fight booked would would make my fucking Christmas. So we have got to give the point for round five and this episode of the pits to Golf T Vapes. Congratulations, sir. The crown has returned. All I ask for, if they make that fight for November, you guys give me the future credit. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I, just, I feel like it's going to be so much better. There's still plenty of time for them to do it then, and then Madison Square Garden, because I, yeah, I totally no, I, agree. That'll I, be I the agree. last time we would see Glover in that. That yeah, doing it at so MSG with him right there in fucking Connecticut over the, the fucking sides. Yeah, I, I think that would absolutely match up real, real good as well. I like that but idea. Yeah, I, I don't think he has a snowball's chance in hell if he stays at home. He needs to get away from home. To... That's that's kind of why I was thinking, make it in December. Don't do it at MSG. Get him out of his fucking backyard. Fuck, take it to Europe somewhere, you know? You know, there was one other fight that I had that I thought could possibly go there, but it would not be. It would, and it was along those same lines as fucking Jones. I was thinking a tie to Ivasa Cyril gone fucking um, interim title fight. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you 100% there. That that absolutely would be a definite Christmas fucking or banger. Well, even a, another one that could go 
the winner of this Aspinall fucking blades fight against Tai Tuivasa. Right. Yeah. That, no, that could that could absolutely set it up, especially if Jones is going to drag his fucking feet like he clearly has been for what two fucking years now. Yep. And we know how infrequent Stipe fights. So, right. being despite as- the fact that I will say, if you go look at Stipe's Instagram right now, that motherfucker is svelte. Like he has never been. Yeah, so, I want to. I want to see hey. him get the fuck back in this year. I don't give yeah, a fuck. I, I think regardless of whether John like gets his before, shit together I'm or not, cool if John Jones never fights yeah. again. <laughs> Stipe is coming back. Yeah, I don't give a fuck if John actually gets his shit together or not. Stipe is clearly done with sitting on the fucking sidelines, and he is getting back to come for that fucking belt again. So well, I'm fucking with that. <laughs> Let's get fucking Stipe and Tom Aspinall. I mean, we're getting that this weekend. If Tom yeah, we're, fucking we're beats Curtis Blades, lined up. So, yeah, heavyweights get getting fun again. John Jones getting fun again dragging sure. the feet. Let's get, let's give Aspinall fucking Stipe, man. That'd be something, right? Oh yeah, well, he's got Curtis well, fighting. Let's fucking Tuivasa and Gon go at it. And then those yeah. two winners fight, and then whoever wins that gets Ngannou whenever the fuck he style, decides to yeah, come back. Yeah, them off. <laughs> yeah, a little fucking tournament bracket action, you know. Yeah, no, I'm I'm with it. Look, this is realistically speaking, this is the most exciting that heavyweight has been in the UFC. I'll say in at least a decade. Not that there weren't exciting guys. This is the most exciting the division has been as a whole in a decade, in my opinion. So, since Frank Mir and motherfucking Brock Lesnar, yeah. Right, yeah, since the juice was still flowing through the fucking octagon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, no, I'm, I'm absolutely happy to see the resurgence of the fucking heavyweights. Let them fucking bring it on back. Let them show these boys how to fucking do it. But that being said, that is all we've got for this particular episode. Thank you very much for tuning in, whether you are catching us live on the youtube.com slash I'm no Joe page every Thursday night at 9.30 ish PM central standard time, where you're catching this in the all audio format, <coughs> excuse me, on your podcast consumption platform of choice via anchor.fm slash I'm no Joe uh, links down in the description for everyone involved in helping make this show a part of what it is. If you appreciate what we do, make sure you are subscribed and your notifications are turned on so you don't miss what we get up to around here. If you don't like what we get up to around here, First and foremost, why the fuck are you still here this deep into a podcast you don't enjoy? Give us a thumbs down and fuck off. We won't even dispute it. That being said, if you do like what we do and you want to help us do what we do, the best way for you to do that is patreon.com slash I'm no Joe. For as little as a dollar a month, it gets you name on a thank you at the end of the screen. helps us do what we do around here and gives you access to behind the scenes, unaired and literally unairable things i'm not going to tell you exactly what's there what i will say is that we are the only podcast i am aware of that was literally too hot for only fans and what only fans wouldn't take patreon happily accepts spend your dollar see what we got that being said we are going to call that all for this particular episode so thank you to everyone who tuned in whether you're watching us on youtube you're listening to us on anchor or whatever podcast you choose we appreciate each and every one of you who has been a part of this journey so far train keeps on rolling that being said don't let ignorance stop you you can root for anything unless it's the ellen show making a comeback
Everybody was kung fu fighting. Those kids were fast as lightning. In fact, it was a little bit frightening. How do I say goodbye to what we have? The good time.